the meeting to order. If you could please rise for the Pledge of Allegiance. I could take roll. Commissioner Walker. Commissioner Benedicto. Present. Commissioner Yanez. Present. Commissioner Byrne. Here. Commissioner Yi. Here. Um, Vice President Carter Overstone. Present. And President Elias is in route. Also with us here tonight, we have Chief Scott from the San Francisco Police Department and Executive Director Paul Henderson from the Department of Police Accountability. Sergeant, could you call the first item, please? Line item one, presentation of certificate of appreciation action from Ms. Angela Jenkins for the Bias Working Group and Mr. Rome Jones for the Bias Working Group. So good, good evening, uh, Vice President Carter Orbstone, Commission, Executive Director Henderson and the public. Um, thanks for putting this first on the agenda. I just want to say a few words and acknowledge uh, two community members who have been very, very engaged with this police department and, and policing in San Francisco. And I know one of the things that we always try to do is get people to be engaged with this police department and our policy uh, making and the commission's policy making. And for the public, I wanna just say that this is what that looks like. And I know they aren't the only two because we have many people in, in our city that participate in this process. But I wanna give special thanks to Ms. Angela Jenkins and Mr. Rome Jones. And just to be specific before I read the uh, certificate of appreciation, our, our bias DGO, um, 5.17 it took a long time for us to develop. And there was a lot of community input in it. There was the work groups and um, it, it was a lot of conversations, Commissioner Elias and at the time, Commissioner Damali Taylor were the commission leads. But what Ms. Jenkins and Mr. Jones did was they really started the conversation about the bias by proxy that ended up in the policy and ended up being a big part of having a policy that actually the state of California and the Ripper Board uh, hailed as a model. And for those of you that aren't familiar with bias by proxy, this is when a person calls the police and their biases are then transmitted to dispatchers and then it causes a reaction that sometimes can lead to very, very bad consequences. So Ms. Jenkins and Mr. Jones were the two community members that really raised that issue and we responded and we ended up getting it in our policy. And we really appreciate your work. Yeah, this is long overdue because I think that was like three, four years ago when those conversations were happening, but it's not too late to appreciate the good work and their leadership in this process. So I just want to acknowledge them and I will read their certificates uh, one at a time. First for Ms. Angela Jenkins and I think you have some family here. So if you don't mind standing up or if you... And uh, I'm sure there's some photos coming here, but Certificate of Appreciation from the San Francisco Police Department in recognition of Ms. Angela Jenkins in deepest gratitude for her work and contributions in the Bias Working Group. These contributions helped the department move forward. Such an example is worthy of the highest esteem 
by the San Francisco Police Department, awarded on this 15th day of February, 2023. Signed by me. Ms. Jenkins would like to say a few words, if that's okay. Um, I think it was teasing Sergeant Youngblood saying that I was usually at home watching Family Feud, but my name was inside here, so I was going to come on down <laughs> and look at this. Um, I'm very, very, um, I want, I'd love to see the recognition for people who painstakingly risk being uh, labeled a snitch to come to the working groups. That's very, very difficult for me. I'm one of the people who would not really sit in the room with cops for a while. <laughs> and it's quite contradictory that my, my brother has a 40-year career, or over 40 years in law enforcement, and he's nationally recognized. But he gave me a challenge. He said, you know, Renee, sometimes he uses my baby name, Renee. Uh, you might be more biased against cops than... <laughs> Cops are biased against you. So I took on his challenge. And the challenge was made more easy by meeting Sergeant Yolanda Williams and Officers for Justice. They seem to be black first and then cops second. And that's really, really hard to do. So through their auspices, I began to attend the meetings and still not feeling that policing is really legitimate. I still think policing may be residual slavery. And I hope someday to see the sunset of state-sanctioned violence if policing is illegitimate, not legitimate. But um, I did want to also just say that the bias by proxy that everyone is looking at and talking about, it was something that I pitched to the chief that was then Commander Lazar, that if you, we had two working groups. We had one working group that was dealing with bias, and one working group was looking at the community, our community policing. But no one was looking how at how the community or non-police person actually commits a lot of biased policing, having your body launched into the wood chipper of policing because someone doesn't like you. Like in New York, uh, we saw that. The birder got, someone's going to call the police on the birder, or the person who was watching birds in New York. And also, here in San Francisco, we remember that there was a, a young man who was just opened up a a lemonade, gourmet lemonade stand, and he himself had become a person that they were calling unnecessarily 911 on him while he was checking on the burglar, the security system at his own gourmet um, lemonade shop. And he himself, he testified here uh, not long ago that he felt that the call itself was based on bias, that it was bogus. There are many times that we can see that people are using policing, are using the police to actually launch their prejudice against African Americans and many other people. But um, I'm glad the police, I'm glad that the community looked at that and they see it. I believe the Karen Act is a manifestation of how we might be able to quell that type of bias by proxy. But again, I really am truly appreciated uh, being recognized here today. I thank you very much, Chief Scott, for working with me and my tenacity in, 
in uh, always challenging you on some of the things that I see. Thank you. Okay, and I won't read it again. Rome, yours says the same thing, but I do want to say a few words about Rome Jones. You know, uh, speaking of challenging, Rome is a, is a young man who has been involved. Uh, I think he was on the Youth Commission when I first met him, and he's been before this commission several times to discuss policing issues and give his perspective. And his perspective is very valuable because it's really hard to get uh, people from his age demographic involved in this type of process. And Rome has been really, really instrumental in bringing um, his perspective. And I think his perspective has shaped some of our policies. Um, he's been involved in, in recent uh, DGO development, including 9.07. So I really um, appreciate you, Rome. I think you've got a tremendously bright future. And um, we're hiring, by the way. But anyway, so, and I want to also recognize you for your work. And I won't read it again, but you brought a lot of value to this process with the bias DGO that we eventually got passed through the commission. And your contributions actually, along with Ms. Jenkins and others, uh, were recognized by the state of California because I think we were the first department to have that type of language in our policy. And uh, that's a big deal. So thank you. And without further ado, I will present you with your certificate of appreciation as well. commission anymore so I don't really like saying stuff anymore <laughs> but, but I, okay um, yeah working with law enforcement I did not think would like be my thing it's also very uncomfortable for me to be like in a room full of cops partially because my brother was killed by the police in 09 not SFPD I think it was San Richmond San Pablo those are my sisters, they know, so. Uh, actually, one of my sisters kind of like talks me into some of these things because like I'd be like, man, like sitting in a room full of police, I don't know how that's gonna go. Um, but I did it because I think like, it's really easy to be judgmental from outside the room instead of like getting involved in the process. And as uncomfortable as some of those meetings would be, I appreciate the people who made it easier and more understandable. Uh, commissioners, chief, um, and I think I've built some good relationships. I think me and the chief have a pretty good relationship. He seems to like me, right? <laughs> so so there's that. And, um, you know, I, I appreciate the opportunity to grow as an individual, but also, like, the opportunity to be acknowledged because I, I don't think I'm acknowledged enough, actually. I think I'm a pretty amazing person. <laughs> so, so there's that. And, and yeah, thanks, uh, I guess. Let's... To be very clear, this does not mean that I like agreed with <laughs> SFPD at every turn, but I was working with them. So hopefully the work continues regardless of who's in the room and things continue to grow and head in a better direction. Oh, no, no, no. You got to stay here. Rome. You gotta stay up here so we can talk to you for oh, a minute. Oh, don't okay. don't think you get away that fast. I don't know. 
book. I'm like, what do we do? I want to say thank you. Um, I had the pleasure of meeting you in the Bias Working Group. It was our first interaction. And you bring such a, an amazing, commonsensical approach. We get in the room, and lawyers, and I think police officers, and people who really dig into policy, we mess things up and overcomplicate things a lot of the times. And that would happen both in the bias working group, you were also in the 1107 one, and also in the traffic stop. And then all of a sudden, in the corner of the room, you would be like, hey, what about this? And you would say it so simplistically, and just like commonsensically that, and it was just like we overcomplicated it. And once you said whatever it is that you said, it really put it in perspective and brought us back to actually making things uncomplicated. So you are a huge asset, I think, to these working groups and to making policy because I think that you know your real-world experiences and your perspective, which is very unique, is really needed in these rooms. So now that you're not on the Youth Commission, you have more time to hang out with us, I hope. So I want to thank you because you really are an invaluable member, I think, to these things. Because, like you said, you come into the room and you don't always agree, and you bring a very unique perspective. So, Commissioner Benedicto? Thank you so much, President Elias. Um, I also want to echo the, the chief, and uh, on behalf of the commission, really congratulate and thank both, both Angela and Rome for really your incredible service to your community and, and the role you played in these groups. I, I was talking to Angela a little bit before, and I think we were both on the, the Taser working group way back in 2016, and Use of Force in 2016, and I think the four or five working groups you, uh, in total. Um, and I, for all the reasons we talked about, what you all given to the community, what you both have given, is hard, and it is time consuming, and it is painstaking, and it is uncomfortable. Um, and that's true on so many different levels, whether that's you're feeling like a snitch, whether that's literally just the time they're asking of you or being stuck in a room with a bunch of lawyers and cops, which sounds like most people's nightmare. You did it willingly and repeatedly. And these discussions and these policies were made better by your participation. And I hope, I hope that you know that. Um, we all have heard, like Angela said, that SFPD's bias policy has been hailed as a model um, for being the first policy to have bias by proxy and, and being really uh, a leading policy. And it's not enough to just say that's SFPD's policy. Because of the role you played, that's the community's policy. That's the San Francisco policy that was shaped and applies to SFPD, but it was not just their policy. It's because of your ideas that it's become such, such a model. Um, and like President Elias said, you know, you don't always agree with everything going in or, or everything when you leave, and, and nor should you be expected to. Uh, but I think what's important is that you're willing to listen and willing to speak and willing to really dig in, and that's, that's so invaluable. Uh, our system isn't perfect, certainly, by any me measure. Or the department isn't perfect. Uh, the, the, the structure uh, isn't perfect, but it can always be perfected. And uh, you two have played such a significant part in perfecting that system. And uh, it really is the, the, the best way to improve our system is to take part in it. And you guys have done that. So thank you very much. There's more. Stay. stay. Okay. There's more. Hold on, Mr. Rome. Thank you very much, uh, President Elias. And uh, I really, really appreciate your contribution, your sacrifice, your dedication and commitment to 
um, helping us improve your department. This is everyone's department. These are our taxpayer dollars. So you do deserve a voice. You should have a voice. And, you know, I started this work really young. I wasn't on a youth commission, but I was a young person working with youth commissioners. And I could tell you have a lot of potential young man. And I really, really hope that you continue to push, push people into that direction where they understand that your voice is powerful and your voice should be at the center of these conversations. And thank you for uh, taking that risk because, you know, sometimes when you walk into these spaces, uh, Ms. Jones made a, Ms. Jenkins made a comment that, that I shared at one point. Like, I didn't think I'd be able to sit in these spaces with people that you know have historically oppressed certain communities some of the ones that I represent but without that voice we're not going to improve things and so I really really thank you from the bottom of my heart thank you <laughs> vice president thank you president Elias um, just really want to congratulate Ms. Jenkins and Rome on, on this incredible uh, award and, and this honor um, the, the, the bias working group predated my time on this commission, but I had the pleasure of working with both Rome and Ms. Jenkins on uh, DGO 9.07, the pre-tax traffic stop DGO. And uh, so it's no surprise to me to hear all of this praise today because really all of it applied um, this, with the same, if not more force um, to their participation on the pre-tax stop DGO. Um, both Ms. Jenkins and Rome, I would say were very selective in terms of when they spoke. But when they spoke, everybody listened because they always said something that hadn't been said before and that nobody else would have said if they hadn't spoken up. Um, every comment they made was incredibly value added to the process. And they were both kind of totally unafraid to express views that perhaps made some people uncomfortable or perhaps may have been controversial to some but they were always thoughtful and they were always value added and, and they were all, always totally non-dogmatic. Like they were never repeating a talking point from a, that we'd already heard before. It was something truly personal um, and, and um, kind of innovative. I'll just say a couple, a couple comments that I remember Ms. Jenkins raised an issue about deficiencies in our traffic data and <laughs> suggested broadening the kind of pool of data that we looked at. That was, I think, really um, insightful that no one else had thought about. Um, Rome, you, a couple of things that you brought up that I recall, you, you brought up um, certain social dynamics around um, tinted windows on cars and the implications of um, deprioritizing that stop. You also brought up um, certain implications for folks from the disabled community and how the policy might affect them that nobody else had raised. So those are just a, a couple comments that I just remember off the top of my head, but there are many more. So just really want to acknowledge you both for your work on, on that DGO and for willing to donate your time to, to this important work because it's, it's really left an important mark. So thank you. Commissioner Walker. I want to thank you both. Um, I'm relatively new, so I haven't had a chance to work with you directly, but we, oops, we have had the um, opportunity to see the results of the input from both of you um, and the rest of the community and how we're doing reform. Um, of course, it takes a chief who's committed to it, but it also takes 
folks from the public who can really sit and input in a way that moves people. And, you know, I know that we think it's, he was kidding when he said he's hiring, but he is hiring. <laughs> and, you know, we need people from the community who have not had trust in our law enforcement to step up and make the changes like you're doing, um, but also sort of be out there. So it's a, it's a time for a new day in, in how we keep our streets safe for all of us. And um, for all of us, I mean, that's where the reform part comes in. So it's so important, and it's important that we, it, it hits us in a way that we can all move forward together, all of us, the officers and the public. So I really appreciate your contribution to that, both of you, um, because we've seen the results. I mean, we've seen what's, what's able to come through. So thank you. Commissioner Yee. Uh, thank you very much, uh, President uh, Cindy Elias. I want to take the opportunity to thank both of you for your, uh, I guess, courage coming up and be a voice for your community. You know, it's, it's sometimes it's difficult to come out there and say it, you know, say what you see and say what you feel. So, uh, again, um, I wasn't in the, the working group, uh, but, you know, as the chief has given his certificate of appreciation, that means something to us all. So thank you both and continue to work and making it safe for us. Thank you. Commissioner Byrne. Thank you. Um, I, I want to commend your, uh, let alone your giving of your time, but uh, your uh, courage to come forward. It's, it's, it's most uh, appreciated and recognized. Thank you. And Ms. Jenkins, I'm sorry I was late, but I do, you know, I'm a huge fan of yours. I appreciate your work and all of your contribution. And every time I walk into a working group and see you, I know it's going to be okay. So thank you both. We, we're done. We're finished. Thank you. Right, thank you. Yeah, we can. Can we do that while we also do general public comment? Sure. Thanks. Members of the public would like to make public comment regarding line item one, the presentation of certificate of appreciation. Please approach the podium or press star three. Where do I line up for public comment? Over here. Right here. Can I be here? Hi, as the oldest sister of Rome Jones and kind of a little bit of a community activist here in San Francisco, I want to thank you all for honoring Rome. He is his own man, and he's done an amazing job, especially I don't think he really emphasized our brother's uh, passing in 2009 when he was just 16 years old, and Rome was about eight. And he could have been very um, hateful to the police, but he started to be a change agent from a very young age to try to make it more equitable and deserving for black men, whether or not you're on the right side of the law. So I appreciate you all for honoring him. And um, he's such an amazing person, wise beyond his years. Thank you. Hi, 
I'm Julie Tron. I've had the great pleasure of working with both of these people. I think I, Angela and I have been on every single working group together. We attended the Dave Lazar uh, Working Group School, where we welcomed everybody. Um, I recruited Rome to the Bias Working Group, um, and I will tell you that it was met with resistance from the executive sponsor um, for that working group, and I had to go straight to the chief to get Rome onto that working group. So I think we should take this as an opportunity to remind ourselves that we need to reach out to community members. We need to make them feel included. We need to invite them and to celebrate them. And the best way we can celebrate these two individuals and all of their contributions, and I want to also just remind us that it was Rome who brought everyone's attention to the mugshots being released by the Tenderloin um, Twitter feed. That was him. And we all said, what? Really? Show us. And we looked at it, and the chief you know, issued a departmental bulletin um, almost immediately. But you know, in the community working group, our strategic plan calls for the CPAPs to include and to reach out to communities. Uh, that's not happening. One of the members of our community working group joined one of the CPAPs to say, what is going on? As, one of, as a commander once told me, oh, yeah, they're made up of the people that love us. So those groups, these working groups, really need to be inclusive of community people. Thank you for celebrating them. But let's make it systemic, not just a one-time award. But let's, let's learn from the contributions of these amazing people. And I personally want to thank them, because I've stayed friends with both of them. So thank you. I just had a really good idea that if maybe if we found a department getting $27 million, we could do, <laughs> I don't know, we could think of one. Uh, maybe that could be like the SB2 position uh, that we could collaborate as like a liaison and a bridge with uh, some of the oversight, but some of the state needs uh, and community-driven things just as a great idea for us to maybe follow up on. See, Rome, they got a, w a huge windfall of money, so you, now is the time to come and work for the department. I got ideas. I got plans. Sergeant. All right, that is the end of public comment. Next item, please. Line item two, general public comment. At this time, the public is now welcome to address the commission for up to two minutes on items that do not appear on tonight's agenda, but are within the subject matter jurisdiction of the police commission. Under the police commission rules of order during public comment, neither police or DPA personnel nor commissioners are required to respond to questions by the public, but may provide a brief response. Comments or opportunities to speak during public comment period are available via phone by calling 415-655-0001 and entering access code 2490-654-9275. Alternatively, you may submit public comment in either of the following ways. Email the Secretary of the Police Commission at sapd.commission at sfgov.org, or written comments may be sent via U.S. Postal Service to the Public Safety Building located at 1245 3rd Street, San Francisco, California, 94158. If you would like to make public comment, please approach the podium or press star 3. Good evening, um, Executive Director, members of the Commission. Um, I only know one person up there, and that's Chief Scott. My name is Greg Johnson. I'm not only a tenant of the, a resident of the Tenderloin, I happen to also be a member of CCSROC, which is Central City SRO Collaborative, or known as simply the Collaborative. 
Um, I'm a member of their safety committee. And we spend tons of hours addressing safety issues as they relate to the Tenderloin area and now have partnered outside with other agencies to address the matters that ultimately plagued the entire city. Um, I want to say, first of all, thank you for the recent responses in the Tenderloin. We've seen a remarkable difference uh, night and day in that area. Um, that's to be commended. Our concern now and moving forward would be the sustainability of that. You know, is that possible? You know, while we continue to do our work and reach out to uh, residents in our community, that's going to be very important. That's going to be very important. Thank you. Good evening, commissioners. Um, I want to say thank you for the opportunity to address you. So my name is Clifford Gilmore. Um, I am with the Tinderling Housing Clinic. Uh, I'm a program manager at the Collaborative. Um, and as Greg said, we have a resident-led uh, safety committee. Uh, we've been working for quite some time with a lot of city agencies on this public safety matter. And yes, absolutely, it, you know, there's something to be said about when you see people radiant emit something very different. And what we've seen recently is people seem to be in a happier mood. Um, you talk about the children who go to school in Tenderloin, they're noticing something different. and you know this gives them hope. And that's what we're seeing now with, with, with the changes that have happened with public safety in recent times, is giving people hope. And we appreciate the work that's been put in. Um, we support that work. Um, and sustainability is gonna be key. Because uh, the, the advances and improvements that we're making, if we don't have sustainability, we will lose those gains. And so with that, we just hope that we appreciate it. And lastly, to the president, I know we've reached out to you a few times, and so we're still looking forward to having you meet with our safety committee members. And so there was an email that came today, so we're looking forward to communicating with you. Thank you. My name is Susie Melconian, and I'm also with the Safety Committee at Central City SR Collaborative. Excuse me, this is the first time speaking in public. Um, so I'll make it short and sweet. I want to thank the Tenderloin Police Station for stepping up and doing this with the community. Um, we appreciate it. We've noticed a difference. It makes it a lot easier to walk. Even from walking from Ellis to here was a better walk, and that makes it much nicer for a lot of people that are there, that live there, and that work there. So I want to thank you for doing this for us. Thank you. Hello, commissioners. Thank you for allowing me a minute to speak. My name is Stephen Tennis. And like the uh, people before me, I work for Central City SO Collaborative on the Safety uh, Committee. Um, this, evening, or this afternoon when we left our office to come here, 
were on Ellis Street, and we walked down to Hyde, and we made a left on Hyde. We were on the east side walking down. And last year, or in two, three, four, five years ago, I mean, that was just an encampment, and you could not see down the street. Now, this, evening, this afternoon, when we walked down here, I mean, it was clean, and that's what really impressed me. It wasn't the fact that there were hardly any drug dealers out there, although there were a few, but you, is he or isn't he? One, one of those things, whereas in the past, there was no doubt, because there were so many. Um, so I don't know what's going on, why it's going on, but please, whatever you're doing, continue it, because it's working, and I haven't seen it like this uh, and I've been here, I was born here, but I've been here for about 40 years, and uh, this is the best that I've seen it. Um, and I'm always in here, well, I used to always come, come here and talk, but it's never a positive thing, and this is really a positive statement because it looks great. And I would just love to, as they said, sustainability, and I think that is so important. And I just wanted to thank you all, whoever and whatever is going on, continue, please. Uh, and foot patrols, Chief, foot patrols, that's the only negative thing. I still don't see that. And I wish I would, but thank you all. Good evening, caller. You have two minutes. Hi, this is Gloria Berry calling. Well, not representing District 10, that's where I live. But however, I just wanted to um, encourage what uh, one of the commenters earlier, just a minute, Kareem, what a little bit of the commenter said earlier about outreach to the community. She was spot on. Um, the young man gave an award to is a lot of young men like that and women out in the community. And um, also I want to say good to see President Elias out in District 10 last week. And I took her recommendation on looking through some of what's going on tonight, which um, I know you're not supposed to speak on agenda items at this time, but I just wanted to emphasize that it's a lot. It's a lot of data and a lot of information and very difficult for um, the average person to consume. And I would hope that more community outreach is done so that some of this can be broken down to where um, even in layman terms sometimes and just uh, continue doing what you did with that young man you awarded tonight. Other than that, happy belated Valentine's. And President Lyons says the end of public comment. Line item three, consent calendar, receive and file, action, SFPD and DPA's 1421 and SB 16 report, SFPD and DPA's 2022 fourth quarter document protocol report, SFPD's fourth quarter 22 audit of electronic communication devices for bias, family code 6228, semi-annual report and resolution of the sexual assault evidence kit, and the annual report DGO 11.02, secondary employment calendar year 2022. Motion to receive and file. Second. For members of the public that would like to make public comment regarding line item three, consent calendar, please approach the podium or press star three. There's no public comment. On the motion, Commissioner Walker, how do you vote? Yes. Commissioner Walker is yes. Commissioner Benedicto? 
Yes. Commissioner Benedicto is yes. Commissioner Yanez? Yes. Commissioner Yanez is yes. Commissioner Byrne? Yes. Commissioner Byrne is yes. Commissioner Yee? Yes. Commissioner Yee is yes. Vice President Carter Overstone? Yes. Vice President Carter Overstone is yes. And President Elias? Yes. President Elias is yes. You have seven yeses. Line item four, Chiefs Report Discussion. Weekly crime trends and public safety concerns. Provide an overview of offenses, incidents, or events occurring in San Francisco having an impact on public safety. Commission discussion on unplanned events and activities the Chief describes will be limited to determining whether to calendar for a future meeting. Chief Scott. Thank you. Excuse me. Thank you, Sergeant Youngblood. Again, good, after, good evening. President Elias, Vice President Carter Overstone, Executive Director Henderson, uh, and the public. Uh, just some very, very brief highlights on the crime trends, which you all see. Um, overall, things are trending very well the first two months of the first six weeks of the year anyway. Uh, across the board, property crime is down 21%, total violent crime is down two, is up 2%, but the overall crime rate is down 19% uh, for major crimes. I also want to give uh, some thanks, at least at this point of the year, to our homicide unit. We have a homicide clearance rate uh, that exceeds 100% of this part of the year. But that's because they've solved some uh, prior year homicides. So a lot of good work being done. A lot of good work uh, still needs to be done on some of our unsolved cases. But I do want to just say thank you to them. Major and significant incidents for the week. Uh, no homicides to report for this reporting period. However, there was a death case, and we're waiting for a determination by the medical examiner's office. Um, and this was for an incident that occurred on February 12th. So once we get that determination, I'll update the commission and the public on that. Uh, on yesterday, unfortunately, there was an incident in the Tenderloin. A victim was located at Ellison High Street. This was around 1 o'clock in the morning. Um, the officer located this person with uh, extensive injuries. The person had extensive injuries. Officers rendered aid until medics arrived. However, the victim was pronounced dead at the scene. A crime scene, including a knife, was located nearby, and surveillance footage uh, shows the assault, which was captured on, on camera. It appears that the victim poss possibly stabbed one of the subjects, and four of the subjects fled from the scene in a vehicle while, while others were seen going into uh, a tent nearby. And that person was located with a stab wound and transported and was in stable condition. So this investigation is ongoing. There's a lot to sort out here. And uh, I will keep the public and the commission informed on that one. 700 block of O'Farrell Street on, on the 12th at uh, 9.25 AM, SF Fire department personnel attended to a victim who had swelling and blood in the facial area and declared that victim deceased. Uh, the medical examiner is conducting an investigation and we don't know yet whether this was a homicide or some other type of, uh, of injury that uh, was not by the hands of a, of a human being. So pending on that one as well. There were uh, two non-injury shootings during this reporting period, one on the 8th of February at 11.10 p.m. Uh, this was in the unit block of uh, Harbor Road in the Bayview. The victim was standing near his vehicle when he heard a gunshot and felt that he had been shot. Self, he he self-transported uh, with non-life-threatening injuries. The witnesses did see a possible suspect running away from the location, and that case is still under investigation, no arrest at this time. The second shooting was on the 11th of February at 6.05 p.m. at Cashmere and Dedman in the Bayview District. 
Officers responded to multiple 911 calls and located a 17-year-old victim who had multiple gunshot wounds. The victim and his friend, friends were walking in the area when they heard four gunshots. They did not see who fired the shots. The victim was transported and is in stable condition. That incident also is still under investigation. At this point, no arrests have been made. A um, couple of significant arrests. I want to talk about at least one significant arrest. This was on a residential burglary series. The arrest was made on the 4th of February. An investigation into a series of at least seven burglaries throughout the Mission District that occurred in December of 2022 led to the identification of one of the suspects. In these incidents, the suspects would disable video call boxes of residential buildings, enter the building, and steal U.S. mail and other property. On 2-4-23, mission officers located and identified the suspect. The vehicle had a DOJ hole issued by San Pablo Police Department and had been identified as a suspect in a residential burglary in San Pablo. During the search of the vehicle, evidence including U.S. mail from the burglary that occurred an hour earlier was located in that vehicle. Subject was charged with several felonies, including five counts of burglary and grand theft. So hats off to mission officers for their observation and putting this together. Uh, it was a great arrest and probably we believe that these individuals or this individual was connected to more and that is still under investigation. A couple of uh, crime trends that we are seeing um, include burglaries that involve um, suspects ramming the business or the storefronts of whatever business that they intend to burglarize, driving a car through the door, and uh, then they go in and they take uh, whatever they can and they flee in another car. So we've seen a number of those in our city and uh, these are also happening outside of our city. Uh, we did have an incident uh, this past week and with the help of Alameda, the Alameda Police Department, one suspect was arrested in the city of Alameda. We do think that these are connected to a series of these types of burglaries and that investigation is ongoing. But one suspect is in custody by Alameda PD connected to the San Francisco burglary that I just mentioned, uh, property from that burglary was recovered. So that investigation is ongoing as well. We had a number of uh, stunt driving events or sideshows as they're commonly known over the weekend. Uh, information was received by our stunt driving response unit that sideshows were or stunt driving events were going to happen in San Francisco. So the stunt driving response unit was activated uh, from Southern and Central stations and they were on the lookout. At approximately 1 a.m., an event began at Fremont and Howard. Multiple units uh, responded to that location and dispersed the group fairly quickly, causing the group to splinter and go in different directions. Units from several stations across the city were called in or called from their stations and used to locate these splinter groups. An event in the Mission District was located where it was believed that a participant in this stunt driving event discharged a firearm. The SDRU was able to disperse the vehicles quickly and then the event moved into the Bayview and then to an area behind Chase Center. The participants went back onto the freeway after our response onto the Bay Bridge where they committed another stunt driving act in which the CHP intervened and requested the assistance of uh, San Francisco police units. The vehicles were quickly dispersed without any further incidents and one person was arrested by CHP for DUI. Uh, this effort took a tremendous amount of staffing from several stations, but the officers did an 
excellent job in responding quickly, breaking up these events, and actually assisting the CHP. So uh, hats off there to, to that response. Lastly, just uh, in Tenderloin, as you heard from a number of residents, we have tweaked our strategies and really what our focus is, uh, in addition to arresting the drug dealers who are selling drugs on the street, is to continually disrupt that activity. So our officers, um, this has taken a while in the making. We've trained uh, another group of officers on narcotics uh, buy operations and plain clothes operations. And those officers, many of them are also footbeat officers. So we are deploying them in different ways. And if we make uh, arrests or even by bus arrests, one thing that we're doing and trying to sustain is we come in with our footbeats or uniform presence to hold that ground so the dope dealers, the narcotics dealers don't reoccupy that block or that corner after we make a bunch of arrests. So as the public, uh, many of members of the public come in, we do have to find ways to sustain this. Another thing that's uh, new that we just started this week, today, on, on uh, certain days of the week, we are rallying resources from around the city to do operations. And it's, it's a combination of visibility, presence, and disruption. And today we had 16 additional officers from around the city who were working the Tenderloin, and really they were there for that purpose. So we are going to do everything we can to sustain as you heard from many community members tonight, and that's just a sample of the good uh, comments that we've gotten since we started this a couple of weeks ago, we want to sustain this. So um, it's a combination of arrests, it's a combination of dealing with buyers and the users. And let me just be clear with the users, we understand that services are out there and we want to get people to help if, if we can, but we also have to address the behavior that is ruining businesses, uh, having people scared to walk their blocks, and a lot of that is on the youth side, so we will address that as well. So I'm very, very um, pleased to report the progress in this, and I want to thank publicly uh, our, our command staff, Assistant Chief Lazar, Deputy Chief O'Sullivan, Commander uh, Fong and Moran, and our Captain at Tenderloin, Sergio Chin, who's really done a really good job kind of looking at things with fresh eyes, uh, adjusting some of our strategies and we are committed to trying to sustain these efforts because I know that is a ongoing topic not, not only with the public but with, with this commission as well so we'll keep you posted on that last thing on that strategy we've the arrests have increased the fentanyl seizures have increased uh, just across the board and part of what we want to do as best we can is get the fentanyl off the streets so this strategy is helping in that regard as well and we will continue to do that and then one other thing, uh, I think I'm at my time, but in the mission, a lot of community concern about uh, the prostitution activity on Cap Street. Um, another new initiative is really dedicating resources there and, and a lot of resources. Uh, motorcycle officers who are citing the uh, people that are soliciting uh, prostitution. We have uh, officers assigned to work the Cap Street at night when this is happening. And we've had really good feedback on, the, on, on that initiative as well. But again, it's a matter of sustainability. So we're working a lot of overtime to try to sustain this, but it's worthwhile. And we need to address these concerns because they are, um, the community is very concerned about these two areas in particular. So thank you. Thank you, Chief. Uh, two quick questions. One, you said that there were operations that were happening by the officers. What does that mean? 
Well, operations mean to disrupt, and the tenderloin in particular. Part of what they do, uh, as I just mentioned, if we go in and do a by-bus operation or if we make, if uniform officers make arrests of drug dealers, what has happened in the past when those officers go and book the evidence and process the arrest, there's a void in that community. And one of the things that we have to get much better and, and much more consistent is when those arrests are made, we need to put additional officers in those locations so the drug dealers don't come back. So part of the additional deployment today, um, the officers who are being brought from around the city actually are handling calls for service and the tenderloin officers who know the people, know the players, know the community members, they're going to focus on what I just described. And um, that gives us really more bang for our buck because these officers know who they're dealing with in terms of who the dealers are, who the community members are, who are um, making these, these complaints against the drug dealers. So and they're not patrolling the tenderloin. They're doing the, these covert operations. Is it's, that what they're doing? It's a, it's a combination. I mean, we still do by bus and we still do visibility. I mean, you heard one community member ask for footbeats. So part of what they are doing is footbeats. But footbeats, when whatever operations we're doing that leads to arrests, those officers are off the streets for hours as they process the arrestee and the evidence. And, and oftentimes it looks like we were never there. So one of the things that we are committed to doing is holding ground. If we arrest, you know, five or six drug dealers from a corner and that corner is clean, if we leave, they come back or others come back rather. So we hold the ground to not let that happen. I think it'll be interesting the next time in your chief's report to provide us the numbers, if you can provide us the number of arrests from these operations that you've been conducting in the time frame in which these operations have happened. I think that would be helpful. 23 arrests over the past six days uh, from this type of operation. And the, the, the other thing that we're doing, if we identify uh, who the sellers are, we seek warrants and then we go back and serve warrants, arrest warrants. So that's another strategy. Uh, five arrest warrants are in the works from this past week from doing these type of operations, in addition to the arrests that already have been made. Okay. And then my second question is, I um, was reading in SF Fist, there was an article and it had your photo along with DA Jenkins, Supervisor Dorsey and Commissioner Yee, and the title was uh, DA Jenkins and Supervisor Dorsey are requesting carve-outs to the San Francisco Sanctuary City Policy, which is a 34-year-old policy. And so I didn't know if that was a recent photo or a photo from prior and whether or not, well, what your position is on um, those requests and what the department is doing uh, with respect to the sanctuary city policy. Yeah, I saw that photo too. Uh, I have, this department has nothing to do with that at all. That's a stock photo and I'm sure they have hundreds of photos of me and they just happened to pick that one. Okay. But this department has nothing to do with that. Um, when that article got sent to me, I saw that photo as well. But I mean, that, it was, you look good in the photo. I mean, <laughs> I'm happy for you, but it was. Yeah, no, this department has nothing to do with that. And okay. it was just a stock photo that they just happened to, whatever media source that uh, printed the article first just happened to put that photo in there. So Okay. I just wanted some reassurance that the yes. department is adhering to our sanctuary city policy that is a 34-year-old policy, um, and there aren't any deviations from that. Please be reassured. We have nothing to do with that at all. Great. So. I feel reassured. Um, Commissioner Walker. Um, I, I just want to um, 
acknowledge the work that's been done in the Tenderloin. I'm also hearing from folks that it's really making a difference. Um, you know, I, I think we all hear from folks who live and work in the Tenderloin who have to um, sort of feel the brunt of our lack of progress there. So this is a really good indicator of the, the work that you're doing down there and the coordinating efforts. I think that um, it's really clear, too, that there's a lot of support for collaborating with all the front end groups that are doing things, which I think helps. Um, you know, having foot traffic that, um, at least before 7 p.m. right now, is the alchemy groups and the, the uh, ambassadors and your police ambassadors. I mean, it's all, especially as we have really, we're 600, 500 officers short. Um, it's really, it's impressive that we can coordinate like you're doing, and I think it's really important. that. I've been uh, doing ride-alongs when there's been arrests, like two or three arrests within a period of time, and it takes all the officers because they have to book all the evidence and um, do all the reports. So I think that that's a real important point of you know filling in those gaps because both both activities are important. So um, you know it's one of the things that you know as we talked about um, freeing freeing the time of the officers from doing um, some traffic stops, you know, there are things that probably could be done by some of these other groups and freeing up officers to really make these, these arrests that are really affecting um, the street. So um, I appreciate that we're in conversation about a lot of that collaboration too with thank other you. departments. So good work and thank you. Thank you, Commissioner. Thank you, President Elias. A uh, couple of things, Chief. I know that last week uh, you provided a status update on um, the MOU with the DA, um, which I think was, was taken off calendar because it wasn't new language. So I just want to confirm that uh, it's still the case that you expect to have that for the commission in one of our early March meetings. Is that correct? Uh, yes, that is correct. So um, just an update, quick update. Um, it reported last week that we actually have an agreement with the district attorney's office and the, the mediator was a part of that conversation and uh, gave advice as well. And today we sent um, our proposed language to Director Henderson. I don't know if he received it yet, but it was sent today with the uh, agreement, the side agreement with DPA. So uh, once they get a chance to read it and get feedback, hopefully we can get that. If there is anything to resolve, we can get that resolved quickly. Okay, so both the updated language and the side agreement with DPA you expect to bring up at the same time. Uh, in early March, like we asked. That is the plan. And again, in fairness to Director Anderson, we just sent it to him today. Uh, and so he's going to have to have time to read it. And then if there's any, any issues that he wants to uh, discuss with us, we'll do that. But we'll try to do it very quickly. Okay. And um, so uh, for members of the public, uh, that language will be posted in advance of the commission meeting. So you'll be able that they'll be posted for you to be able to see. And then has there been an extension agreed to between you and the DA to have the existing one in place? And if so, until what date? Yes, uh, February 28th. And being that we won't have an opportunity to get it before the commission before that date, we will extend it. Uh, okay, so it'll be, so it currently be expires the 28th. It'll be extended again. Do you know yes. until how long? Well, uh, I hadn't talked about this with the district attorney, but probably till the end of March to make okay. sure that we have time to get it to the commission and hopefully we can get 
if there is anything to resolve, we can get that resolved quickly. Okay, and then I think that um, Vice President Carter Robertson asked for this last week. Since we won't meet until February 28th, once an extension has been agreed to, if you could let the commission know in writing so we have the, the, the date written down once. I will. Thank we you. Have that. Okay. I also wanted to ask my next thing. I know that uh, we had a presentation last week um, on the uh, updated form on the surveillance ordinance, and we thank the department for providing that. Uh, as I understand it, now that presentation is complete, the department's now rolling out the training for that ordinance. Is that right? Yeah, we are going. We haven't trained uh, the entities yet, and that's that's going to be a rollout. So, sure. um, but we haven't done it, nor have we done any operations yet. So that is in the works. Okay. Well, you anticipated my next question, which is, have there been any operations yet? Okay, got it. Um, and then my last question was, a member of the public, a couple members of the public actually reached out to me with some concerns about uh, SFPD vehicles being parked either in bike lanes or in bus lanes or in places that otherwise members of the general public aren't allowed uh, to park in. I wonder if you might uh, provide like what the actual policy is, under what circumstances officers can can, can do that? Well, I mean, we have to follow parking rules like anyone else. I will say in emergency situations, officers will park, double park, or, or park in red zones or whatnot. Um, normally, they will turn their, their flashers on or the emergency equipment on. Not always, but normally, but they do, and um, the department is supportive of that when we need to get to a location quickly and it's an emergency call for service. You know, we don't want officers riding around the block looking for parking. Sure. So, um, but if you're going to launch or just some routine matter court, th those things you need to legally park. Okay, um, that's helpful. So if, if a member of the public were to see some, an, an, a vehicle that does not have its lights on and is there for an extended period of time and that doesn't appear to be operations, that would possibly be out of policy? Yeah, what I would suggest is just report it, and then we can see what the circumstances are, and if there's a policy violation, we'll, we'll address it you know, accordingly. But if it's something that a member of the public sees and believes that it's you know, some type of violation, just report it. Uh, actually, it'll be a DPA complaint, so... But I we just will. grabbed the microphone. <laughs> I was going to say. <laughs> but, yeah. How would they go about and report that, Director Henderson? <laughs> well, there are several ways they could report it during police commission, because I have an investigator here that could talk to them directly, live and in person, at every police commission. They could also contact the office directly at 415-241-7711. <laughs> had to think. Uh, or they can also send an email uh, at, directly through their website. Uh, and again, those that type of information can come in anonymously as well. All you have to do is Google uh, San Francisco okay. Department of Police Accountability. <laughs> okay, hopefully that clears things up. Uh, thank you very much, thank Chief. You. That's all I have. Thank you. Or you can go into any station as well because there's information there to contact us directly. Thank you, Commissioner. Thank you, President Elias, uh, and thank you, Chief, for the report. Um, and I really want to actually applaud all the, uh, the, the implementation of the strategies in the Tenderloin and San Francisco. I mean, it is always good to have community members um, echo the sentiment that they appreciate the work, right, and that it's having an impact because perception is so important. Um, so I really, really, you know, thank all the officers, all the commanders, all the folks that are making, that are leading this charge, right? Um, I wanted to ask you about the, the sustainability um, kind of plan for some of the um, 
efforts that have taken place in the Mission District around Cap Street, because I know last week they, there was, you know, enforcement, a lot of vehicles out, or a lot of motorcycles out there. Is there a plan to continue that during the weekends? Is that a month-long plan, or, or what are the strategies there? Well, we definitely plan to continue it throughout this month. Uh, we'll we'll reassess. I mean, we, we have to sustain it, and um, we're working on what that looks like as far as sustainability. I mean. You know, it's been reported to this commission, to the public, that, you know, the staffing has touched our, our solo unit. They have far fewer officers than we did just two years ago, so we have to work out what sustainability looks like. However, I will say this, if we can, if we can get it somewhat in a, in a better place, then it's easier to sustain. I mean, I think part of what I was hearing and many others uh, from community members is they felt like people just kind of weren't being addressed at all in terms of that behavior that, you know, leads to all kind of, you know, things um, in their communities that they just could not stomach anymore. So if we can get some, some progress on calming things down a little bit, um, then we will sustain, it'll come up with how we're going to sustain it. But at least through this month, we're, gonna, we're committed to doing it. And it's kind of the same thing with the tenderloin. We've got to figure out a way to sustain it. Um, there's only so much overtime officers can work, but we're going to do what we can. I know we got a supplemental that I think has been introduced to the board, and hopefully if that you know, gets passed, at least that part won't be an issue. But definitely we will sustain it in one way or another. And in addition to the communication with community, is there coordination, as uh, Commissioner Walker has been uh, kind of suggesting, with uh, community-based organizations. Uh, I know last week I mentioned when they announced this, the Missy organization. I know Lyric works with you know sex uh, people and that have been sex trafficked. Is there formal uh, agreements with these organizations to support your efforts, or is there a plan to incorporate that? Uh, not nothing formal that I'm aware of yet. But we have to work with community organizations. You know a lot of the advocates for some of the sex workers who we've worked with in the past, um, we, we have to have them in this conversation because I believe some solutions can be had that go outside of enforcement and writing people tickets and that type of thing. So, but no formal agreements yet. We do plan to do that. I mean, right now there's so much of an uproar to just make things better that we just, it was put the, put the officers there Let's do what we need to do with enforcement and citing some of the people that are soliciting. Uh, and then we'll do the other things once we get things calmed down a little bit. So that is in the works. Uh, nothing formal yet. Thank you. And uh, the last thing I will say, I know uh, President Elias mentioned this, uh, you know, all our officers read papers and, and we engage or everyone, you know, uh, runs across headlines. And I just want to continue to to promote the fact that as a sanctuary city you know the the reason why that ordinance is this place is in order to improve communication between the police department and communities that need that support right and anytime we are unfortunately in this situation it sounds like you know aligned with a position that will inter interfere with the, that ongoing uh, effort to improve communication um, it really does actually uh, derail some of those efforts and really uh, contribute to that lack of 
confidence or trust that some communities, especially immigrant communities, have. And obviously, this is out of our hands. This is at the Board of Supervisors. But I really um, uh, believe that once we start making these decisions as a city, you know, it's a slippery slope. Once we start making exceptions for certain communities, and I hope that the department continues to um, adhere to the expectations that the Sanctuary City Ordinance has for us. Um, and I know that you support it, so um, thank you for clarifying that. Thank you. Thank you, Commissioner. Uh, thank you very much there, President uh, Cindy Elias. Uh, I just want to go through the data for the crime report that you just presented and look from uh, last week to this week. Um, looks like both violent crimes and uh, property crimes has decreased. Uh, overall, year to date, uh, total crime has dropped. So I, I know that your team and also, I guess, the work of the field operations and it's uh, doing a great job. I, I, I feel that as well as some of our committee members who had stated to me that um, for over, I guess, a month and during the Christmas holidays and the Chinese New Year is, has trended down. So I thank you and your uh, members and staff uh, for that, especially the Tenderloin. Uh, remember me and Burns were talking about this, was a year and a half ago, right? And uh, finally we were able to see this through and it's, it looks, looks great. I remember seeing this in December. I think the lighting came on mm -hmm. and I thought I was in the wrong neighborhood when I was going out late at night. So. Uh, congratulations to the city and to the police department uh, putting the resources forward. And um, I know the community in the Tenderloin is feeling very uh, relief on that. Uh, but my question comes back to this new um, drug that's out there. It's called ISO. Uh, I don't know if you know about it, but uh, I'm hearing it's 10 times more deadly than fentanyls. Are you uh, prepared to, I guess, add additional resource to tackle that? So um, if, if I believe you're referring to uh, xylazine, which is also known as, as Trank okay. uh, for the public. It's basically an animal tranquilizer, a sedative. Oh. <coughs> and in other parts of the country, other parts of the world, um, it's causing a spike in overdoses. Uh, we do believe that that is starting to hit the streets of San Francisco. We do have, a, uh, I think, about six cases uh, that we know about where they have caused or contributed to an overdose situation. So it is something to be alarmed about because one of the issues with that particular drug, if that's what you're referring to, yes. is Narcan has, it, it, it doesn't work for this particular drug. So if it's mixed with fentanyl or whatever else it can be mixed with, um, we have to do some training with our officers to, uh, to recognize. There are some things that, that we need to be looking for, um, but it doesn't, Narcan, ha Narcan has no effect on it. So the reversals that we've had some very good success with, with fentanyl, uh, it won't work. So it is something to be aware of. Um, we are going to work with public health to do some, some messaging and some public education and internal education about this drug. We haven't seen uh, a lot of it yet, but in the east coast of the United States, they're having more of an issue with this in some cities. And um, the way things trend over, over the years, I think we're going to see it in our city. So we have to be prepared for it. Thank you very much there, Chief Scott.
At this time, the public is now welcome to make public comment regarding line item four. If you'd like to make public comment, please approach the podium or press star three. And there is no public comment. Line item five, DPA director's report, discussion. Report on recent DPA activities and announcements. Commission discussion will be limited to determining whether to calendar for any issues raised for a future commission meeting. Executive Director Henderson. Good evening. Uh, again, I'm not reporting all of just the statistical numbers, uh, but they're online if folks want to see them and they're from the normal information that I used to track regularly. All of that stuff is still available and just making clear that I'm not going to read all of the things. Our start, I will start off, however, with the cases that are being told, uh, and there are still 17 cases that are being told. There are nine cases that are still pending with the commission and still 88 cases that are pending decisions with the chief's office. This week, uh, we have uh, a number of cases, 13% of the cases that came into the office this week were for allegations for officers behaving uh, badly or speaking inappropriately with the public, uh, and then 10% of the cases were allegations for an officer uh, arresting a person without cause. Again, for the full breakdown of 100% is will be listed on the website. In terms of the district and what's going on throughout the city, uh, allegations and complaints came into the agency, the highest uh, precinct this week was the mission uh, with five complaints that came in, most of which centered around uh, allegations that officers were writing inappropriate, inaccurate uh, police reports and behaving inappropriate, inappropriately by failing to take law enforcement action related to vehicle break-ins. Uh, the next highest uh, number of allegations came from Northern Station. There were three complaints that came from Northern with allegations of an officer misusing their emergency lights uh, and failing to take required action related to uh, making a police report. In terms of outreach this week, uh, on the 10th, several members of the DPA participated in a panelist for the Northern California Public Interest Public Service Day. This was uh, a career fair for students to meet and interview with public interest and public sector legal organizations. Uh, and we are in the middle of preparing for our big summer program. So I'll have more updates for you about that program and what we're doing in the future. Uh, on February 18th, uh, we plan on taking part in the National LGBT Task Force Creating Change Conference. Uh, it's a nonprofit organization focused on advancing freedom, justice, and equity, specifically for uh, the LGBT community. On the 13th, uh, I spoke at Alice B. Toklas, uh, Democratic Club. Uh, they had asked us, DPA, to come and represent to speak about concerns in the LGBT community uh, and policing, addressing, uh, just so we're clear, a lot of the concerns that were raised are issues that have been uh, resolved or addressed here in San Francisco, but talking about it gives activists and community members uh, an opportunity to share the solutions that we've come up with here, both with the rest of the state and with the rest of the nation as well. So uh, that was outreach this week. Uh, in terms of audit, we are drafting our next interim report right now as part of the misconduct audit. 
And so this report is on San Francisco Police Department's monitoring of department communications. And we plan to deliver a draft of this report uh, to the department by the end of February. It goes to the department first before it comes to the commission, so we get feedback before it's made public. But I'm just tracking it so folks know what we're doing and what's happening with the audit department. In terms of operations, we're excited finally to announce the development of a new online complaint uh, form. We wanted to, uh, we made the improvements and expanded the program for the public, but now we've expanded the program for the department as well, so for the police department. The new complaint form will allow officers to file complaints that are received from complainants online instead of having to fill out a paper form. And the new form will streamline the process and ensure that complaints are received in real time as they come in. So it just eliminates part of the process that we've been having problems with uh, and burdens uh, inconsistencies in making that, uh, those complaints, getting those complaints to DPA. Uh, the old method required officers to fill out a paper form, scan the paper form, send the form to DPA via email or interdepartment mail which also increased the risk of error uh, and delayed the receipt of the complaint. And so we continue to use available resources. And by resources, I mean things that are free, just so we're clear, in case anyone wants to give money to the Department of DPA, uh, and develop and launch new efficiencies and accessibility, uh, accessibilities. Uh, improve transparencies and support better record keeping. Uh, the next step is to test the form and create a guide for SFPD officers and a video training to ensure that the staff understand how to use the new complaint form. We'll update the commission once the new form is available and it's launched, uh, but I just wanna thank my uh, technology team, Eric Ho, uh, and our IT analysts, Oscar also for his hard work, uh, and Nicole Armstrong who helped put all of this stuff together and drafted this, these notes for me to tell me that I could finally say. Uh, tonight, uh, we do have a case in closed session. Uh, we also have here in the courtroom uh, senior investigator, Chris Chisnall, also our director of policy, Janelle Kaywood is here, as well as my chief of staff, Sarah Hawkins, uh, uh, and for folks that are interested and would like to get in contact with DPA, uh, I mentioned this earlier before, but you can find us at sfgov.org forward slash DPA, or you can contact the office directly at 415-241-7711. I have some further comments, but they are tracking with upcoming agenda items, so I will reserve my comments until those items are called. Thank you, Director Henderson. Um, two things. You said the audit was going to be sent to the department end of February. When do you think the commission will get it? Uh, I don't remember the time that the department has to hold on to it. I think it's two weeks. Okay. All right. Whatever the, the audit stuff, as you know, is so regulated, uh -huh. there is a designated period of time when it gets sent, and I believe it's, two, it's okay. a reasonable period of time. I think it's something like two weeks where it just says, here's what's about to be published. Please review it. Let us know if you think that there are any mistakes in it. And there's sometimes back and forth, but sometimes not. And then it just gets published. Okay. So. Second thing, you mentioned 88 cases with the chief. How is the, I know we addressed this earlier about getting those cases moving um, and decreasing that number because it seems like a lot. Where are we on that? 
well, the number has gone down from the initial presentation when I started tracking and counting all the numbers because it was 90-something, 94, right. 99. Uh, it's going down. It's just not going down very Fast quickly. Enough. But like I said, I just receive the information when it's resolved. I don't know what's going on on the other side in terms of how it's, what that process is looking like. Chief. Yeah, so a lot of those cases are uh, being appealed, and I think we would well, not think we reported to the commission that we've revamped that process. Right. So we are seeing the old appeals move a lot quicker, and a lot of the old uh, older appeals of now being heard and cleared out. So I think once we get caught up, we'll see this flow of, of cases move a lot faster. But uh, Ashley Warsham and uh, the Folks in internal affairs have really done a lot of work to speed up the process with the appeals and make sure that we don't, a lot of it, which I'm sure the commission can appreciate, uh, people canceling at the last minute and that type of thing. So we, we have some processes in place to try to discourage, if not, I mean, when people have to can cancel, they cancel, but we, we had to tighten up some of our processes. Yeah. When can we see some double-digit decreases next um, month? Well, April. well, going by the flow of what's arriving in my desk with the appeals, I think you, you'll see them pretty quickly because I'm getting a lot more cases that uh, have been heard and will be resolved quickly. So, I mean, some of them already have been resolved, but the flow of those cases are, are increasing and it's a lot more consistent. Yeah. Okay. And I think I told you this last time, Director Henderson, Ms. Armstrong did a great job on the budget presentation. Um, I think she did a great job of just breaking it down, making it really simple and direct. So. There's a lot on her plate, but you are likely to see more of her this year. Okay, great. I look forward to it. All right. No one's in the queue, so we better hurry up, Sergeant. For members of the public that would like to make public comment regarding line item five, please approach the podium or press star three. And there is no public comment. Great. Next item. Line item six, commission reports, discussion and possible action. Commission reports will be limited to a brief description of activities and announcements. Commission discussion will be limited to determine whether to counter any of the issues raised for a future commission meeting. Commission president's report, commissioner's reports, and commission announcements and schedule of items identified for consideration at a future commission meeting. Thank you, fellow commissioners. Since everyone else is on a 10 minute timer, we are going to try and aim for that ourselves. So. This is the first week that we're going to try it. Hopefully it works out, and hopefully we can beat um, the chief and Director Henderson's time. So I'm going to start with Vice President Carter Oberstone. We get 10 minutes total for all of us, or, or each? Okay, you want total? I know. I'm, I'm just asking. I'm just clarifying. I, I, we always, we're always under 10 uh, per, per person. Okay. Do two, two each. Okay. All right. None of this counted towards my time. Okay. Um, on On... On January 11th, um, th this commission passed DGO 9.07, the uh, policy to curtail the use of pretext stops. Um, and uh, the, the day before, Chief, Chief Scott sent the commission some language um, that he suggested uh, to, to amend the policy to um, emphasize what the policy was doing, which was deprioritizing de uh, certain discrete categories of low-level traffic offenses. And since then, Chief Scott and I have been working on crafting some language to that effect. Um, I gave an update on, on last meeting, and since, since, since the last meeting, um, we've gone back and forth a few more times, and I'm glad to uh, report that we've found some language that 
at least the chief and I um, can agree on and make sense. And um, I just want to thank the chief for working with me on this. Um, we both sent some emails back and forth over the weekend, so appreciate the weekend time and doing this on, um, you know, getting this done quickly. And um, I'm very eager to share the language with my colleagues on the commission and, as well as members of the public. So hoping to get that circulated to commissioners and, and posted to the website soon. All right, Commissioner Benedicto, you gonna beat his time? Yeah, I think so. I, um, some progress was made on a couple of the DGOs that I've been assigned, but I'd like to focus just on one for tonight in my report, which is DGO 7.01, which is the department's policy on how it deals with juveniles and youths. Commissioner Yanez and I are on that working group and had a very productive meeting last week. Um, and I really wanna thank all the participants um, for coming to that meeting with an openness to collaboration, and um, I think a lot of progress was made. I particularly want to call out um, the executive sponsor, uh, Commander Rachel Moran, um, Sergeant Harrell, and, and Captain Toomer for written directives for your great work, as well as Director of Policy at DPA, um, Ms. Kaywood. Um, I, I think that we got a lot done. It was you know, a, a really productive meeting, and looking forward to continuing to advance that DGO um, and move that forward to present to the commission later this year. You did. Good job. All right. No, no one else is in the queue. Maybe. Right. Okay. All right. Commissioner Yi, you got to beat the time now. I'll beat the time. Uh, sure. Uh, right, let's, let's see. Not beating the time, but I just want to report today we had the AAPI uh, summit in uh, Victoria Hall in Chinatown in the heart of it. Uh, it was, um, I guess, uh, I want to thank uh, Commander um, Julian Ng for putting it together. Um, joining us was uh, our police chief, uh, William Scott, uh, city attorney, David Chiu, and district attorney, uh, Brooke Jenkins. I guess the goal was that of, of this summit was to, I guess, educate our community in Chinatown because many of the victims uh, they tend not to report the crimes uh, that happened to them. They feel that, well, it's okay. I don't want to report it. It's too much um, red tapes. And what the community, San Francisco Police Department Community Liaison Unit says, we have translators available for you, for you if you want. You know, you need to report it. And uh, also, with the district attorney, they. Uh, I guess uh, offer uh, victim service information to the community, and uh, one in particular is the California, uh, what's the California Community, or actually Victims uh, Community Board, where there's fundings available for victims that crime has happened to you, and um, you know they should look into that. So. Uh, again, um, I want to thank the police department for coming out. Um, our community felt uh, this was uh, very well uh, spent time uh, to pass the message, and they felt uh, reassured of safety as public safety as number one for for all in the city of San Francisco. Uh, that's all I have to report. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for the district attorney update. Sad to report you did not beat Commissioner Benedicto's time, but maybe next week. All right, Sergeant. 
For members of the public that would like to make public comment regarding line item six, commission reports, please approach the podium or press star three. And there is no public comment. Next item, please. Line item seven, SFPD's 2022 third quarter disciplinary review board discussion. Hello. Hi, Welcome. how are you? Good evening. Do you have the report? Or the jump drive? We'll be under 10 minutes. This is this, now this one is a combined. We're not doing 10 and 10. Oh, no, 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 no. We only got like seven slides. Yeah. Okay, good. We, we practiced, I so. I think it you should be animated. Your, yeah. Maybe nine slides. I might have. You can either. Maybe 10 slides. Or six. Okay. Good evening, President Elias, evening. Chief William Scott, and Executive Director Henderson. It is my pleasure to be with uh, Chief of Staff Sarah Hawkins this evening to present to you and report back the results of the Disciplinary Review Board third quarter for 2022. Um, we'll jump right into it. The aggregate trends that we saw was uh, discourteous to members of the public, as well as a failure to write an incident report, a failure to thoroughly investigate, and finally, um, excuse me, a failure to title um, multiple body-worn camera videos. And DPA's aggregate trends for that quarter were failure to take required action, failure to activate BWC, and this was a smaller number than the other two, but there was somewhat of an uptick or trend of failure to provide name and star number upon request. When we look at policy failures, we had two policy failures for the San Francisco Police Department during this time frame. The first one was a supplemental incident report was not properly assigned to the proper unit. Department Bulletin 11-273 speaks to that specifically. And um, the second one we had was that we were um, attempting to locate a department vehicle after a collision was brought to mind. What we found out in our investigation is that very small unit did not have a sign out and sign in log for the vehicle and that has since been remedied. DPA had one case that was actually closed in the fourth quarter, but the chief asked it asked for it to be discussed during the third quarter um, meeting of the DRB, and it had to deal with social media. And uh, AC Flaherty and I have had meetings and spoke separately, and I know it's come up, I think, uh, Commissioner Yanez, you are leading the charge on revamping the social media policy. The particular case and recommendation that we had um, was related to station social media and, and and should that be centralized in the department maybe maybe not but at the end of the day however the department rolls out the social media policy there needs to be clear training about how to manage those accounts in the third quarter the san francisco police department had no training failures during the third quarter uh, same with dpa there were no training failures either um, so then we get down to the recommendations made by the board. The first one was to update Department Bulletin 11-273 um, as it relates to assigning um, unit, uh, excuse me, reports to investigative units. Uh, this week I spoke with the written directives unit to not only discuss where we're at with that and updating that, but there is a component also and it relates to the second recommendation was to ensure that the incident titles are properly being auto-populated within our system um, because when it comes to an officer writing a police report based on the title, the system will auto-populate where it's supposed to go. 
And so we need to make sure that there's not so also an IT issue. So we want to make sure the codes are all correct, as well as department bulletins. So those two recommendations come together. The third one was in relation to training members for their use of social media accounts with the department. This is an interesting topic because there are really three buckets. There's personal use of social media, which will be covered on 2.09. Um, there is um, department affiliated use, such as the district stations, and then there will be use of social media investigations. Each one will have a carve out of its own policy, and there will be training attached to each one of those. So all the recommendations are being worked on and addressed, and I'm happy to report that. One thing that's not in this presentation that I just thought was important to kind of follow up on while this represents what came out of the third quarter, we also still follow up on recommendations from previous quarters that we met, and it finds its way to DGOs that we talk about in here frequently. One meeting that we had last week was um, related to property, and that's come up a few times in various DPA cases. For example, um, property for safekeeping, what are the parameters around that, and I spoke with is it Commander Jones? Yeah, uh, Acting Deputy Chief Jones. Acting Deputy Chief, Deputy Chief Jones on Monday to kind of talk about DPA's specific recommendations and issues around timelines and property processing. And she explained how much work had been done on her side and we made some progress there. So I just don't want to forget that while this is a snapshot of one quarter, work from the previous quarters is continuing all the time. And at this time, we don't have a meeting set for the fourth quarter disciplinary review board, and that would conclude our presentation. Wow. Told you. Under, well, a little over five. I'm impressed. Under five. Yes. Thank you. Um, just real quick, I um, was able to attend several weeks ago one of the trainings that um, came from the DRB. Uh, at the stations that DPA and IA put on. And I know that I. Um, notified Director Henderson and Chief Scott, but um, it really is worth mentioning that Lieutenant Wil Wilhelm and uh, Chief of Staff uh, Rosenstein did a phenomenal job. It was at the Richmond Station, and I was in the corner of the room watching them put on the presentation to the officers and really um, showing or walking them through the process because it's amazing to me how many officers aren't familiar with the disciplinary process and how it works. Um, and they were able to ask questions um, and get a lot of information in real time. And I thought it was really, really such a great training um, and education piece. And I really hope that it continues. And I want to say that you, you know, Director Henderson and Chief, that was a great combination. And I know that uh, the Commission Office extended the invitation to other commissioners to check out that training. And I really would encourage all of you to do it because um, it's interesting to see some of the questions that the officers raise. Um, in the process and the misinformation that's out there and the correct information that um, is being disseminated by both DPA and IA. Let me thank you for attending because that's uh, really it's a big deal because I think it was a joint project both from DPA and with the department to do that and it really did address as surprised as you were I don't know that we were so surprised but it was consistent and we have committed to making sure that we do the presentation at every single precinct to do that presentation. But because of the misinformation that people really have fundamental misunderstandings about discipline uh, and the process, it might be worth maybe publishing something jointly that goes to the department that answers a lot of the frequently asked questions that came up from that process. I don't know how they would disseminate it, but I'd be happy to work something out if, if folks think that that's a good idea 
but my big takeaway, at least from DPA, my big takeaway from it is that there are just such a clear misunderstanding about what the process is, who's doing what, and how the process works. And so I... Yeah, no, it was tough. They, I mean, some of the questions and some of the, the comments were not... It wasn't oh, yeah. easy, um, I think. And But Lieutenant Wilhelm and uh, Ms. Rosenstein did a great job because I think that some of the comments are from rumor mills and, again, misinformation. And so there are two more of those coming up. I think we'll be done by the end of March, and they're a combination of Southern and Tenderloin, and I'm sure that if any of the commissioners wanted to go, that they would get a lot of insight. Yeah. And I just want to say as well that those presentations are being really well received by our officers, and I think it's important for our officers to trust in the process, to be educated to the process that it is being done fairly and equitably. So we are very thankful to have the partnership with DPA on this and thankful for our members. Mr. Benedicto. Yes, I just had a question about the mistitling or labeling of the, the body camera footage. What is the effect of that if it's not caught? Um, so it's, it's really difficult when it comes to investigations. It's part of the policy that they have to do with it. This specifically came from an audit out of the body-worn camera, and what we found were particular members had multiple offenses in it. Um, so that's the problem if they don't title it. So if it's not titled correctly, would it make it harder to be, like, turned over in, with respect to, like, um, a public defender in, in, in the case of an investigation? Well, I mean, ultimately, we would be able to turn it over, but as a part of our policy and to be in compliance with that policy, this is what we expect of our officers. So when our officers don't do it and they're out of policy, that's when it rises to our attention. Okay. That's all. Thanks. Thank you. Uh, a couple of questions around uh, the social media policy. I believe I just heard you say that they, you were thinking about three policy statements and trainings attached to them. Uh, would you elaborate on that? Yeah, so what I, what I said was there would be policy specific to address each one of those. For example, 2.09 only focuses on, as it currently stands in its draft, only focuses on personal use of social media. So when we look at areas that, such as Sarah was discussing, was there has to be training for how our members are using our department-affiliated ones as well. And then the third conversation, which we've had at length, is how can social media be used in investigation? So three different buckets trying to decipher, you know, do they go with three different individuals? Like, for example, three different DGOs. What does that look like? But with each one, I think there has to be individual training for each of those. And, and that, so we will develop that. The training element definitely makes sense. I um, know that once we started the, t the clock on the social media uh, DGO revision, because it's so skim the way it stands, but yet it does cover different spheres, I would say, right? It does delve into personal media. And my recommendation was that we collapse these all because it will just, you know, once you have subject matter experts that have this, you know, kind of background, it will make it easier to inform all elements of it. And my recommendation stands that we should collapse all three. It will, I think, limit the amount of energy uh, put forth to be able to come up with a good policy. And I hope that we could figure out what the best way to uh, work in that direction will be. Yeah, so the 90-day deadline for 2.09 is March 7th. Um, so I have no doubt after that deadline comes and the draft goes to its next step that those conversations will continue. Great. Thank you. 
Thank you, Commissioner. I just want to briefly say thank you to you for acknowledging Lieutenant uh, Angela Wilhelm publicly. I did convey to her our conversation and told her how uh, impressed you were with her presentation along with uh, Ms. Rosenstein from DPA. So thank you for that. It's really important, I think, for our officers, our members, uh, both professional staff and sworn, to hear those type of comments. I know we talked about morale a lot a few months ago, several months ago, but these type of things are really helpful. So I want to highlight that. And then I would just want to make one more comment about uh, the reform initiative that we've been engaged in since 2016. This is a product of that. And I'm going to go a little bit deeper and not be too long-winded. I know Director Henderson and I both have struggled with getting money to build infrastructure. These two positions are part of infrastructure rebuilding for both of our agencies. And I just want to point out to the public that these things do not happen without the proper infrastructure. I don't think Paul had a chief of staff like Ms. Hawkins six years ago whenever he took that position, about six years ago. And we also changed our structure. So I just want to take this opportunity to tell people what reform looks like. This is the end product, but there's a lot of work and building up infrastructure that goes into that. And I think this is a perfect example of what can be when we do it the right way. Thank you. Sergeant. At this time, the public is now welcome to make public comment regarding line item seven. If you would like to make public comment, please approach the podium or press star three. And there is no public comment. Thank you. Next item. Line item eight, discussion and possible action to approve Department General Order 11.13, directed and recommended referrals to the SFPD Behavioral Science Unit for the department to use in meeting conferring with the elected bargaining units as required by law. Discussion and possible action. Hello. Welcome. Thank you. Good evening, President Elias, Vice President Carter Urbastone, Commissioners, Director Henderson, Chief Scott. I'm Acting Deputy Chief Nicole Jones of the Administration Bureau, and I'm here to briefly present today on DGO 11.13, which is directed and recommended referrals to the SFPD Behavioral Science Unit. So the Behavioral Science Unit is under my command, and I'd like to point out that this is a brand new DGO. This is not a revision. This is a policy that we haven't had previously. And really what it does is it creates a mechanism for SFPD to get our employees mental health and wellness assistance that that employee may not necessarily recognize that they need. And this was an ability that we didn't quite have in this same way before. So essentially per this policy, commanding officers may contact the behavioral science unit regarding concerning behavior of an employee. The behavioral science unit will deem either a directed referral or a recommended referral appropriate based on the circumstances from that discussion. So directed referrals are mandatory requirements. The employee has to meet with BSU. And our recommended referrals are voluntary and encouraged, but not required. Confidentiality is obviously a key tenet of this policy, given the nature of the discussions that are being had. And additionally, a referral is not meant to be punitive or disciplinary, though compliance with this policy is required. So the procedural nuts and bolts are all laid out in the policy itself, but I wanted to acknowledge how important this tool is to have in our toolkit. We finally have a way to address concerns before problems exacerbate and lead to potentially more severe professional and personal consequences. And with that, I'd be happy to answer any questions. I will say, too, I think that the BSU is an important unit because with respect to discipline, a lot of our discipline cases require um, 
Well, well, when we, as a commission, implement discipline, uh, one of the provisions that we usually implement is a referral to BSU for continued counseling and or other services uh, in connection with what BSU offers. So I think that's also important, too, um, to have that continual monitoring. Yeah. Absolutely. And I think what is so nice is now that it doesn't have to be as a result of discipline. We have this mechanism to get it on the front end and really try to make that impact before it heads down that road. Thank you. Commissioner Byrne. Thank you, President. Thank you, President Elias. Um, I, I'm, maybe I'm a bit naive and I'm sure members of the public who exactly is in, who exactly is in the behavioral science unit? Yeah. The behavioral science unit is um, several officers who have been selected to provide a variety of different services, but basically they're connecting people with treatment, counseling, professional help that they may need as it relates to mental health, substance abuse, et cetera. So right now I have one sergeant and three officers assigned to the behavioral science unit and they work with a variety of clinicians, they have networks, et cetera. So really that first jumping off point where they would meet with BSU could lead to other treatment, whether it be counseling services, therapy, substance abuse, you know, after that. So do you have like psychologists and psychiatrists uh, uh, that you refer them to that the city employs or? Yes, so there's actually a whole mental health network and they're very specifically um, trained to deal with law enforcement and law enforcement issues. So we have um, those connections available and they don't have to come as a result of this. This is a service that we offer across the board regardless. So anybody could reach out at any time to request this, but as mentioned previously, sometimes people don't recognize that they mean, need help, and we do, and this gets them that help. Well, we, we all lack a certain amount of self-awareness, every yeah. one of us. <laughs> yes, so, um, absolutely. Okay, all right, thank you. You're welcome, thank you. Commissioner Yanis. Carter Oberstone. Uh, I'm really happy that, that this is out, and I really commend the, the department and uh, proactively, you know, creating something to, to, to give everyone the impression that this is important, right? Like the work that you do is so, um, you know, exposes folks to, to vicarious trauma and to sometimes, you know, actual trauma. Uh, I mean, vicarious trauma is a form of trauma, but um, I really am uh, happy that this is on board. I just have one question about, I know, I understand the need for confidentiality and HIPAA and everything, but in uh, section, what is this, 1133C, uh, it says that there won't be any written records of the directed or a recommended referral. And so the only question I have is then how do we capture when we are being successful with the referrals for training purposes? Um, and I know that the directed referrals are captured in some way, shape, or form. So is there a way to be able to, when it is not you know, directed, but is advised just to be able to have a point of data there, right? Doesn't have to be a consent form or anything like that, but I think even just that, that incident uh, can be reported somehow. Um, so no, there isn't, and that really is kind of one of the keys, I think, to the success is that this isn't written down. So people really feel comfortable reaching out because they know that there's not a documentation 
um, attached with it. And so we've, our, our behavioral science unit, they don't log the number of calls they take, et cetera, but I can tell you they're on the phone all the time, <laughs> basically 24 seven. Um, and I think that really that lack, uh, or not the lack, but the, the choice not to document that has actually been one of the keys to its success. Um, and it, when there are directed referrals or self-referrals, the, the system that you're using right now is specific to San Francisco. Is there interface between that and the private uh, providers that uh, people have access to? Yes. Yeah, so the network is like private providers. So they're not um, city agency providers. They're from all over. And so they really have access to anything that might be useful to them. Great. Thank you. Thank you. Commissioner Walker. Thank you so much for this presentation. I, I agree 100%. This is really an important piece um, for providing support for, for folks, for officers on the, the street. I, I mean, a lot of us have been in ride-alongs and um, experienced just in a very limited way, an abbreviated moment of time. Um, it's a very stressful job, and uh, I just want to acknowledge that. Um, it's at the times I've been um, a lot doing ride-alongs for a few hours. It's it's pretty emotionally exhausting, and so I'm really glad that we're doing this. I do um, some ombuds work, and it's part of the same kind of um, position where, you know, you're not counting people calling in that you were really there to try and help move things, you know, that need to be moved forward. And um, one of the things I want to suggest, because I, I, this sort of just reinforces how we need this for our officers. Um, I was doing, I was coming through um, Mission and Ninth and ran across folks from our partner groups, the ambassador groups and alchemy groups who had just um, had to do a CPR response to somebody. And the person was just really upset. Um, and rightfully so. And, and probably not properly trained and there was nowhere to go. And that's where I was I was wondering if we could encourage this kind of response too for the other folks doing, you know, helping us out on the street that um, they especially don't have anywhere to turn either. So it may be something we want to um, really think about expanding to our partners out there in the street too. Because um, as much as, you know, our officers go through academy and get trained for that kind of um, engagement um, it's a lot so I just I just want to in, in saying that I really support it I think we could do a lot to um, think about who else might need it definitely and I just I think it's really important to point out that we also have a you know a whole host of professional staff members in our department who are often exposed to a lot of these same traumas. We yeah. have people who view body-worn camera footage, and that's what they do. And this is something that's available to all employees of the San Francisco great. Police Department, not just officers. And I think that's important to, to point out. Yeah, it's yeah. Really, really good work. 
Thank you, Vice President Carter. Thank you, President Elias. Um, just one question, um, which is, how, how does this policy affect, if at all, um, interactions between EIS and BSU? Um, so, like, so this is kind of part and parcel from EIS. So this wouldn't be prescribed by EIS unless perhaps in the course of a commanding officer's review of EIS, you know, that this could come into play. But I mean, that's definitely something that we can take a look into a little bit more, but really like the concerning behavior that we're talking about is like job performance related. Does this person appear to be a safety to them, yeah. like a danger to themselves or a danger to others? Um, but I think that that's an intersection that, you know, we can absolutely look at and I, no, I guess I'm just asking it, so I maybe should have stated my unstated premise, which I assume that sometimes in the course of an EIS alert, the, the remedy for that is to recommend that an officer reach out to BSU. Yes. And so I guess I'm just wondering if this DGO changes the way that process happens. If there's an EIS alert, there's a convening of the appropriate people there's a decision made to, let's just say, recommend to the officer uh, to, to reach out to BSU at their, at their ultimate decision. Would that, does this DGO change that in any way in terms of the, just the nuts and bolts of reaching out to BSU? Or, or is that just EIS is just on its own separate track and following a separate process? I don't think it changes anything in the sense that if that commanding officer was going to reach out to BSU previously, they would still be able to do so in the same way now. I think what this policy does is actually provide a mechanism to, if BSU, in review of all of the circumstances that is provided by the commanding officer, require that they talk to BSU. Because right now, that would be voluntary. And then with the institution of this policy, that... Could, there could be more teeth down the road to say, you, no, 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 it's, n it's not going to be voluntary. And that would be, I would think, the one change. Great. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, thank you very much there, President Cindy Elias. Uh, again, this is a great two, I guess, um, for the members that uh, on a daily basis visit the stress out there. Um, I'm just looking at one part and and that will be 11.13.04 uh, and SF. Regarding, uh, I, guess, uh, I guess you can make a recommendation for time off on a FMLA. Is it gonna be, sh I know it is short term, but what about long term? If it exceeds a certain amount of hours or amount, amount of days, uh, is it allowed to go past like a, onto a long term? What, what is your short term, eight days? eight work days or something like that? Um, so for FMLA, there's a set number of hours, and it, it's far beyond that. And right. it's related to employee illness or different circumstances where the employee would need, it basically prescribes protected leave when while they're off. Um, but we also have instances when people come in with doctor's notes, and that could be long-term leave up to, like, including the hours, but beyond with certain notes. Okay, if it goes certain past uh, amount of hours and it goes into a long-term uh, FMLA, uh, is there an impact on their, I guess, employment? You meaning that uh, are they still on the books or are they now put on um, 
long-term disabilities? Is that, yeah. Does that so, happen? Yeah, all of these things can happen, and there's a lot of nuances, whether it's work-related, not work-related, but FMLA basically says that they will remain on the books, that it is absolutely protected leave. Okay. There cannot be changes in employment, um, and disability would be a little bit different. Disability has different time limits, um, but you can also have injuries that aren't work-related that that, you know, you exactly. are able to take leave for. Yeah. Okay. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you. Great job. Thank uh, you. At this point, we're going to take public comment, and then I'm going to take a uh, uh, motion for action. Thank you. No? Okay. First. Or motion first, whatever you want. I'll make a motion. Thank you. Uh, well, I'm going to add my instructions, but I, uh, <laughs> I'm going to make a motion that we uh, adopt DGO, <laughs> DGO 11.13 um, for use in meeting and conferring with the affected bargaining units as required by law, along with the, the following instructions to direct SFPD. Oh, wait, sorry, this is an old version. One second. It's okay. We're going to have a written version soon. Yes, I'm working on it. Um, the following instructions, the commission hereby directs that the San Francisco Police Department and urges that the San Francisco Department of Human Resources set clear boundaries to the meet and confer process with the affected bargaining units to ensure there are no unreasonable delays on any items within the scope of representation. And second, meet and confer with the affected bargaining units only on matters related to working conditions subject to collective bargaining under California law and not meet and confer with the affected bargaining units on any part of the general order that constitute managed matters that are not subject to collective bargaining under California law. Second. Members of the public would like to make public comment regarding line item eight. Please approach the podium or press star three. And there is no public comment. On the motion, Commissioner Walker, how do you vote? Yes. Commissioner Walker is yes. Commissioner Benedicto? Yes. Commissioner Benedicto is yes. Commissioner Yanez? Yes. Commissioner Yanez is yes. Commissioner Byrne? Yes. Commissioner Byrne is yes. Commissioner Yee? Yes. Commissioner Yee is yes. Vice President Carter Overstone? Yes. Vice President Carter Overstone is yes. And President Elias? Yes. President Elias is yes. You have seven yeses. Line item nine, discussion of deadlines per DGO 3.01, written communication system for revision of DGO 8.10, guidelines of First Amendment activity at the request of the commission. Discussion. Good evening, President Elias, Vice President Max Carter Oberstone, Director Paul Henderson, members of the Commission, Chief, and also members of the community that are watching. Especially, I just wanted to say the members that came here from the Tenderloin, that really means a lot to our officers and our investigators. So I appreciate that. My name is Deputy Chief Raj Viswani from Investigations. And what I'd like to do is just, uh, if I can do kind of a quick um, presentation or, or um, Vice President, how, how would you like for me to proceed? Yeah, so my understanding is that the department does have a presentation kind of on the broader uh, written directives unit process and 3.01 process. My, my thought was that we could start with some specific questions about 810, and then if the department does have a presentation the department could do that after we get through the 810 specific issues. Sure, but I actually am just here for 810, so what I was gonna do is just give kind of an overview of how SID and the SME 
is set up, A10, and some kind of give you an idea of my input, but we can start that way. Yeah, I think the way we might structure this is I, have, I do have some specific questions. I imagine a lot of what you're going to say is responsive to what I would, was going to ask. And then mm -hmm. if there are things that I didn't ask about that you think are relevant, then certainly you should have the opportunity to, to raise them. Perfect. Thank you. Before we get into it, I did just want to provide some context for the public. For those who tuned in last week, some of this will sound uh, repetitive uh, because we, we did cover this um, same issue last week. Um, but just to recap, um, a few months ago, Director Henderson brought to the Commission's attention that there were 26 DGOs in the revision process that had been sitting with the department for a long time, I think all over a year and in some cases over two years. These were all DGOs where DPA had already provided the department with recommendations on revision and yet they, they were not moving forward. Um, this is, this is a bad thing, obviously. This is a bad thing for officers. It's a bad thing for members of the public because officers are bound by policies where, in many cases, they haven't been revised since the mid-'90s. Um, the state of the law has changed, and so the DGO may be out of compliance with the law. Certainly, evidence-based best practices have changed, and so the, the policy doesn't reflect those. Um, and so in response to this, President Elias took the step of assigning to each commissioner um, a cluster. Each, each one of us kind of owns a cluster of these 26 DGOs, and it's each commissioner's job to make sure that these DGOs are shepherded through the process and um, that, that nothing kind of sits the way it had been sitting previously. Relatedly, the commission also enacted DGO 3.01, which sets out strict timelines and sets out a specific process for revisions of DGOs. And while there are timelines for, or I should say deadlines for each step of the process, 3.01 is not totally inflexible. It does allow either DPA or the department to seek a request for an extension of time if um, either DPA or the department feels as though they can't meet a deadline. And what they have to do is they have to write to the commission and explain the circumstances and why there's good cause for granting an extension. Um, and so as it relates to DGO 810, which relates to surveillance of First Amendment protected activities, it seemed that, or it seemed that the, um, some, an important deadline in the 3.01 process lapsed, and there wasn't a request for an extension of time. Um, as I've said before, ultimately, uh, it's the commission's responsibility to ensure that policy revision happens in a timely fashion. And so when we have lapsed deadlines under 3.01, I think that we need to have a public conversation about it for two reasons. One, to inform the public, and two, to inform the commission to understand what's going on. Um, this is not meant to be punitive, but it is meant to shine a light on what exactly is happening at a nuts and bolts level so that we can make sure that this process is working for everyone. So I just wanted to provide that context. Um, Sergeant, would you mind putting up the, the timeline graphic? Sure. 
Great. So this is just a timeline of the relevant events as it relates to DGO 810. So on October 27th, uh, DPA emailed the department requesting certain documents that it felt it needed to make its phase one recommendations. Uh, it did not receive response. On November 3rd, DPA sent its phase one recommendations to the department and notified the department that those sending those recommendations triggered a December 6th deadline for the department to respond to the recommendation grid. The department uh, did respond and it, it, it acknowledged receipt of the recommendation grid and acknowledged the deadline. On November 22nd, DPA again emailed the department following up on its October 27th email requesting certain documents. No response um, was, uh, there was no response as far as I can tell. Then the December 6th deadline to respond to DPA's recommendation grid came and went uh, with no response from the department. On December 8th, three things happened. Uh, DPA emailed the de department requesting an update in light of the lapse deadline. Uh, Director Kaywood uh, left a voicemail with Deputy Chief Vaswani regarding the deadline and the documents. And Deputy Chief Vaswani replied via email that he was on vacation but would return December 12th. On December 12th, uh, Deputy Chief Aswani and Director Kaywood did speak via phone. On December 14th, I emailed the chief asking for an update in light of the expired deadlines. And on that same day, Lieutenant O'Connor, uh, DC Vaswani made a series of internal requests to seek an extension of time. And then on December 20th, uh, Chief Scott did in fact uh, submit an uh, a extension of time uh, to the commission. So. Before before we actually before we start, I, I had a couple of questions for Miss K. Wood. If, if Miss K. Wood, you wouldn't mind coming up. Good evening. Good evening, Miss K. Wood. So this this whole process was kicked off by DPA sending its is it phase one or stage one? Stage one. Stage one uh, recommendation grids. Could you just explain to the public what a stage one recommendation grid is? Sure. A stage one recommendation grid is um, basically an Excel spreadsheet. It has four columns. The first column, DPA's recommendations are listed in numerical order. The second column is the date that we submitted the recommendations. The third column is SFPD's response, whether they agree with our recommendation or not. And the fourth column is um, just a brief explanation of SFPD's decision. Stage one recommendations are pre-drafting recommendations, so they're kind of high-level um, high recommendations that we send to the department to let them know kind of the topics that we're interested in. Once we get a draft back from the department of the actual DGO, uh, we submit stage two recommendations, and those are recommendations based on the actual updated DGO, where we go line by line. Great, thank you. And in this particular case, how many recommendations did DPA make? I believe it was four. And if I recall, one of those four was the request for documents. Correct. Okay, so there were three substantive recommendations relating to the DGO. Yes. Okay. Um, and what does a response so the so the department once you sent the, the, the recommendations was due to respond what does a response to a recommendation grid look like generally it's usually just a couple of sentences okay um, per recommendation and 
I know that you don't know exactly what goes on, perhaps in, in written directives on the other side, but do you have a sense in this particular case, given those three substantive recommendations, how long you think it would have taken to respond to them? Um, less than an hour. The, doc the documents probably took some time to compile, but the actual recommendations were very high level. Like one of them was update the DGO to take into account new technologies like the internet. Like that's pretty basic. It wasn't very complicated or granular. Okay. And I just wanted to confirm, did you receive any response to your October 27th email or your November 22nd email to the department? No, not until January after this issue was raised at the commission. Great. Thanks so much, Ms. Kaywood. Thank you. So, Deputy Chief, yes. can you just explain what, what your role is exactly as it relates to the revision of, of DGO 810? Okay, so I am the executive sponsor for this DGO, and I think I have a total of 13 DGOs that fall or we touch in investigations. Some of them are sitting with written directives that might have been moved from investigations to another bureau, but we started on it or we have some specialty input into it. Um, I, I would definitely like to respond to the timeline, and I do appreciate um, Janelle coming up here and providing insight on the grid. Oh, certainly. We'll get to that. So, okay. So is, is, do I have it right in, is Ms. Kay would write, that there was no response to her uh, October 27th, 27th and November 22nd email? Yes, that is correct. And why was there no response? So there was an internal discussion on the grid at a later time. The 27th, October 27th, that email that came in, the 28th at 2.23 in the morning, we had the Paul um, Pelosi incident. So on after 2.23, SID was the primary lead on that. I was notified around 3 a.m. From that day on, that case would have easily taken about a week just to stabilize. And, um, to, and that's just you know dealing with different facets of the case without going into it. We never reconnected. Um, when I mean we, as in my subject matter expert, Lieutenant O'Connor and us, about this, this took the back burner as everything else did that case literally took up the whole office and when i mean the whole office it's an extremely small unit there's only five general investigators and three arson investigators and the other are are specialized um, people that don't investigate the cases thank you that's helpful but you're not saying that there wasn't time to send an email saying hey, we're very busy working on this extremely high-profile matter, right? There was time to do that, or, or you're saying I, there was I, I don't even know if the email was looked at between the night of the 28th and, and what day it was looked at. So, and you, so you didn't open the email on October 27th? No, many of these emails, if I'm CC'd on it, if I'm not directly, I'll prioritize. I get, I get emails that are directed towards me, which I'll read first. So you did or did not? I, I did not. 
You're sure you didn't open the email on a No, I, I, I don't know for sure. You're not sure. Yeah. Okay. I'm not. Um, but, but we did have a discussion at a later point regarding that DGO and that came, that was triggered by written directives reaching out and saying, Hey, what is the status of the grid? And that's when I had the conversation with um, Dave O'Connor. Great. Thank you. Um, Ms. Kaywood said that the three recommendations were fairly high level, such as updating the DGO oh, yeah. to conform with the internet and other yes. intervening technologies, and that it would take around an hour to respond. Is that, do you think that's right? Or I, I do think it's fair that they were high level, but it also involved the audit, right? So there was an audit that was done in 2021 that was completed in November of 2021. And so there were still some action items on that that were being accomplished. So I asked him, I said, hey, can you give me an update on what's going on with this? And there, the main, the main part of it was some of the documents that were requested. I asked, I said, hey, can you look at what we have, what we don't have? But we also need to have an internal discussion about that. Right, but setting aside the documents and the audit, which are separate mm -hmm. i'm just asking the response to the three substantive recommendations in the recommendation grid is miss kate's characterization roughly accurate that it should take an hour or so to do that I, I i think it would require longer as far as the discussion what's your best guess ballpark it it, it would involve other parts of the department like i would have well you, to you have responded by now right the department has sent its yes. response. Okay, yes. so then you know how okay, long so, it take. So by the time we're done, it does require some due diligence on our part. It is important. I know it's at the draft stage and discussion stage, but internally, I think it's important for us as an organization to have a discussion about how we go about our policies and procedures that impact our officers every single day. So how, how, how long did it take roughly? After the, after to respond to the recommendation grid, probably two, three hours, two or three hours. Yeah. Okay. And, and that's just crafting language back and forth, et cetera. Okay. That's helpful. And so, and who's principally charged with, with drafting those responses? So unfortunately with the sub, I don't have the luxury of being able to have multiple subject matter experts because there's very on that policy because it's so specific it's just the one lieutenant and even that with the amount of other stuff that he has on his plate i even asked if there was some way that we can find somebody else that we might have the bandwidth and there really wasn't in his unit he was low on staffing everybody has not only do they investigate high profile cases like that they're handling hate crimes they're handling threats of potential shootings at schools workplace violence etc so he didn't want he he took ownership of it and i appreciate that but he literally said i go i is is there somebody and then what we did decide on is to help get some help from written directives which they helped us out tremendously and get some help from um, internally just to have an attorney assist us.
Okay, so I think the answer is principally Lieutenant O'Connor, but he was yes. very busy with the Pelosi investigation, and so you reached out to get a little bit of help yes. from others. Yes. Okay, great. And so why, why is it, I'll just ask you point blank, why is it that the department didn't meet the December 6th deadline? Um, is there a reason other than the, than the Pelosi investigation? I, I felt that this was a important enough DGO. I mean, you, you agree with that. I mean, this DGO impacts freedom of religion, press, assembly. It, it gives some guidelines to our investigators of, and rightly so, and also protecting people's civil rights and you know, freedom of assembly that we need to have a conversation at a high level. Some of that conversation might involve attorneys. It might and looking at best practices, I'll tell you, uh, Director Henderson's office has his audit was a tremendous help also. But even the Chicago policy that was the research done by Dave O'Connor and his discussion with um, the DPA attorney. Um, who did the audit, and I think, I believe it was Steve Flaherty who did the audit. So things such as that, like I wanted to look at the Chicago policy. I asked him, I said, hey, can I take a look at the Chicago policy? And then I, I asked him, like, I go, okay, the Santa Cruz and um, Metro DC policy, what are your thoughts on that? So I think internally, like, I know it looks simple. I know it looks just well, for simple. If I, if I could. So I do understand. Um, but I, I had a, a more specific question, which is, yes. why did you not meet the December 6th deadline? You've already said that, that there is the Pelosi investigation that required yeah. a lot of time. Are there any other specific things that led to that? And the reason I'm asking is because there are 20 business days that elapsed. Yeah. And you've, you've just said now that it takes around, in your view, two to three hours. DPA uh -huh. said one hour. Were there really not two to three hours in those 20 business days to respond to this grid to say, yes, I agree that we should update the DGO to account for the internet, for example? Were there real, are you, are, I just want to be clear. Are you saying there were not two to three hours? No, there, there are two to three hours to write that specific response but it's not just the response it's the collaboration internally it's discussing how we're going to move forward but you said the collaboration everything takes two to three hours so no just... no no what i'm saying is actually writing and responding to the four actual response i mean i i looked at it and i agreed with a lot of the stuff like even the title i said hey that's a good point and it you know, there, I didn't. It's not like I had an objection to to anything outright, but it's not just the policy is more than just me and um, the subject matter expert. Okay, I guess I'm just asking because if somebody works eight hours a day for mm -hmm. twenty business days, it's 160 hours, and, and so I, it's a little bit hard to understand why there. We all experienced times in our jobs where we have an influx of more work than we can handle. So certainly understand that. But the idea that in all that time, there weren't two to three hours out of 160 working hours is just, that's the, that's the piece that's just not evident why that wasn't possible. And I so mean, if, if there's anything else that, that I mean, would provide clarity on that. There's a lot else, right? Because ultimately 
every day there's literally things that, that the SID unit, as well as many other units in investigations in the police department handle. I mean, to give you an example on the 8th and 9th, the reason I didn't respond to Janelle's email, I only took that Thursday, Friday off, but I couldn't connect with O'Connor because there was a vice president, um, former vice president, um, I mean, I'm sorry, former first lady visit on 9th, 10th, 11th, and he was busy with planning for that. So I wanted to talk to him. I wanted to go over it. We just could not connect. And we connected right after I got back. And then that weekend, he worked the weekend. So it's, it's way more than the 40 hours a week. I'm sometimes calling him at 11 o'clock at night, midnight, 1 o'clock. There's... It's to to answer your questions. Of course, in the twenty days, is there three hours? Of course, there is. But there's literally. I mean, I we've had three officers shot at in the last couple of weeks. Two of those officers are from my command. One is from SID. It's something like that. Just to give you an example of something like that happening, I'm driving to Oakland. I'm going out to the scene. I'm going out to where those, and, and literally everything else stops for me or for whoever the lieutenant or captain that works for me. And we literally drop everything and handle that. All right. Can I ask you a separate question, which is why didn't you seek an extension of time before the December 6th deadline? It sounded like at a certain, you were very busy. Um, at a certain point, it must have become clear that you weren't going to make the December 6th deadline. Why, why wasn't there a request for an extension made? You, you're completely right. I should have asked for an extension. But why, why didn't you? I, 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 do, I do not know. I, I've been going back and forth with, like, of, of how we should proceed on it. And, you know, I think it was oversight on my part. But you knew that the December 6th deadline was pending, and you, I, I guess I'm just, I'm not sure what the answer is. You knew it was pending. You decided not to seek an extension. We and, couldn't, you don't we know, couldn't meet you don't the know extension. Why, you don't know why you didn't seek an extension. We, we just needed more work on it. And I, again, the extension, I didn't realize it was as simple as a email or letter, I, I, you know, I I wanted to make sure that I wasn't the only one that, you know, was like I wanted to get some input on on how much more we work we had to do on it. So you're saying you didn't have time to to send an extension? No, request? I, I I didn't have time. You didn't have time to send an extension request. No, I, I should have done the extension re request. And like I said, I, I think it was oversight on my part. Okay. Do you have a personal Twitter account? I do. Okay. And you tweet a lot. I do. Okay. And a lot of it is about SFPD work. It's about community issues, SFPD. It's about highlighting the good work of our officers going out there and making our community safer, out there, you know, conducting the work of public safety, yes. Okay. Between 
the first email you received from Ms. Kaywood and the December 6th deadline, how many tweets did you send? Oh, I have no idea. What do you, how many do you think? I, I, okay, I, I counted because I have too much time on my hands. You sent okay. 189 tweets. Okay. Okay. Oh, that's probably So correct. my point is you had time to send 189 tweets, but you didn't have time to send, write a five-minute email saying, we're not going to meet that. We can't meet the deadline because we have all of these more important matters. No, I, the tweets don't require any kind of collaboration. It's just a retweet. Well, some um, of them aren't retweets. Like the day after Ms. Kaywood's 20, November 22nd email, you, you posted a tweet of yourself saying, sometimes I leave my office and there was tweets of you with selfies and, you know, just oh, no, we, um, stuff. So yeah, that, some of them were original. That that, yeah. that was a that was a really good one. That was a tenderloin. I, that was my favorite one. That was a tenderloin, I think, community event, and it it was. I thought it was a positive tweet about going out to a tenderloin community event, and it also, I think, it also hits home when I put a tweet like that to the fact that I'm stuck in my office so much that sometimes it's nice to go out. I try to go out to search warrants when I can. I try to go out to crime scenes when I can, because I think it's important for the investigators to see me out there when they're working. And they, they appreciate it. I've been told personally that they appreciate it. No, I think a lot of them are really great con content and highlight yes. some important work that's being done. But I guess, but my point is that you had time to send nearly 200 tweets, but now you're telling us that you didn't have five minutes to re request an extension of time. You didn't have two hours and all of that time to respond to the uh, recommendation grid. And it's just a little bit difficult to accept that if there's time for, I think, something we would all agree is clearly less urgent um, oh. than that. So it's just a little bit tough to accept that, that representation. I guess I'll just say... The commission has charter authority to set policy for the department, right? Yes. Okay. And so when we pass DGOs, they have the force of law, right? Yes. Okay. So when DGOs are violated, that's a violation of the law, right? Yes. Right. Okay. And so it seems like you were aware of the deadline. You willfully decided not to seek an extension despite having the time to do so. And so I, I need to step that's in here, a uh, commissioner. So if we're going to go down a uh, track of accusing this. No, no, no. Let me, let me okay. That, that's not where I'm going. But. If we're going to go down a track of accusing Deputy Chief Paswani of a disciplinary violation. I will not stand here and allow that to happen in public. Okay. That, that's not what I'm doing. Well, I mean, we're, we're already, you're already doing it. it yeah. Okay. Well, can I, can I just finish that? that as, as we all know, the, the, the Commission has no role in initiating disciplinary proceedings. So, this, yes, but this deputy chief has rights to not have a disciplinary inquiry in public. Uh, okay, this is not a disciplinary inquiry. This is a policy inquiry. Okay. Okay. All right. Um, the reason I bring that up is because. I think we ask a lot of our officers, and in, in the disciplinary context, we, 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 you know, 
the job is very difficult, and sometimes the department asks us to impose discipline in cases where there isn't a willful violation, where there's just noncompliance under very difficult circumstances. And I, do, I am concerned that it sets a double standard when you have someone in a very senior position that appears to be willfully disregarding the commission's policies. Um, and so I just want to say that, I'm, that I am troubled by that. And um, I, will, I will leave it at that. And, um, and if there's anything, I know you said at the outset that there are certain issues that you wanted to cover. Um, if there's anything else, if there's anything I didn't cover that you'd like to address, then um, I would certainly welcome that. But that's everything for me. Commissioner Walker. Oh. No, I, I would like to respond. I, I, I do think it's, I think it's important. I know the role of the commission. I realize how important it is to not only our department, but to the community. And please don't get me wrong, I don't, I'm, I'm not showing disrespect. It's just, there is a lot of stuff behind the scenes. I didn't know how else I would satisfy your answer. So I said, okay, I didn't send the extension. But ultimately, you have to also realize that our day is very fluid. As I'm sitting here today, not only looking at this outline, there's a shooting going on at Hunter's Point. So I'm texting you know, like three different units right now to be able to manage that. So, I mean, should I have not tweeted? Maybe, I, I, don't, I don't know what to tell you regarding that, but you know, I, I, I do apologize if you think I'm disrespecting you or the commission or any of the commissioners. And I, that's not, I, I hope I didn't come across that way because ultimately, like I, there is a lot of value, I mean, this, the police commission was established like what in the 1870s it is a very important body for the city government for the public it, it's it's a very it's it's critical in our role and i and i hope that you know our relationship when i mean our as in the police department our officers that you know we we have a lot on our plate and and i'm not saying me, I'm, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to make it sound like that. What I mean is most of the units are spread really thin, but they do awesome work. They're, I mean, they're constantly doing more than we even ask them to at many times. And, and, I, and, and at times where there are times where I need information or collaboration, but I don't control other people's schedules, times, information also. And I don't want to sit there and send a email asking for a extension when when I'm not sure if that's what I should be doing. And and you know ultimately, part of that maybe I should have called the commission secretary or written directives and said, hey, do we do we send something formal or did they know? I know that um, we when I mean we is in um, DPA and I connected after the fact, so it, it wasn't before that sixth. Um, and I didn't actually even know that, I assumed that there was some conversation going on at, at a different level, so I, I didn't realize that DPA didn't get any response. Okay, thank you, Commissioner Walker. I want to thank you for coming and um, answering questions. And I, I have concerns about 
just the tone of this because it does feel a bit harassing and I I think that we all are sort of committing to a an accelerated finishing of some of these DGOs and I think it really behooves us to understand the process and what needs to happen in order to get to meet the the objectives um, you have a, a set of expectations commissioner um, and and the department has a lot on their plate so I feel like all of us want to do these. I mean, we all have our job. Um, I really appreciate um, your reaching out to others to get a lot of input on these things because it's the whole department that has to do it, not just you. So um, I feel like this has been on now for the second time as an agenda item. And hopefully we all understand it's serious and we want to get these done. So maybe we need to reiterate what the schedule is. Um, in the communication out around the emails. Um, if there's an expectation of getting back by a certain date, maybe we need to include that in the email. So thank you for being here. And I, I agree, Chief, I think um, it's not our job to, to discipline anyone, to initiate discipline. So thank you. Thank you. Um, Chief, before you begin, I, I do want to say that I think that, you know, we just implemented 301. And obviously, there's a learning curve. But it comes from a place where, since 2016, when the DOJ came in and said, look, you have DGOs that are decades old. And they really are harmful to both the officers and to the community. And they really got on us about getting these DGOs revised. And in fact, it was a big chunk of the 272 recommendations. And when I started in 2018 on this commission, um, there had only been a handful of recommendations that had been fulfilled. And another complaint or criticism was the fact that we aren't getting our DGOs done. And that was in 2018. And we made some progress. The Board of Supervisors, it was, uh, Supervisor Fewer at the time, was not happy with the progress we were making um, with fulfilling these DOJ recommendations. Um, and then, you know, fast forward to 2022. And we learned that some of these DGOs have been sitting with the department for two years. So I'm sure you can understand the frustration or just, you know, our, um, our desire to get these things moving. Because while we appreciate the efforts that you all make, um, the, the department does have a, a larger a policy department in terms of moving these things along versus DPA, who has a party of one. And so, you know, when we see that, it just, we have a lot of questions, I think. And I think everyone knows that the goal, and that's why I assigned DGOs to, to commissioners, because we as commissioners also need to be held accountable for why these aren't moving, because the department had them for such a long time and nothing was done. And so since they didn't get anything done, as a commission, we need to step in and make sure that they get done. So I think that that's, you know, where we're coming from. Um, and I'm, you know, I'm hopeful now that 301, once we work out all of the kinks, is going to be a smoother process to get these DGOs completed uh, in a more timely fashion. So uh, go ahead, Chief. Thank you, uh, Vice President. Look, I, I, I do understand that public inquiry is a form of accountability. And I believe Deputy Chief Faswani, um, understanding how busy he is, uh, did say that this was an oversight on his part. It, it 
we have to find time to respond and we need to take responsibility when we don't. I understand all that. I just want to say moving forward, I believe we have worked out many of the issues that got us to this point, this conversation. But I would like to ask if we have members of this police department in front of this commission that we do not put them in this position again where we're asking questions and making statements like violations of the law and you know talking about things that may be disciplinary because this is not the venue for that in my opinion i would just ask for that support from the commission and again we own what we own we should have responded i think we fixed those issues and we will make sure we get our extensions in on time and we have a path moving forward thank you chief commissioner benedicto thank you president elias uh thank you chief for saying that i, I first wanted to say that uh, I don't believe that uh, any behavior was uh, by Vice President Charles Oberson was was harassing. I take issue with that with that characterization. I think there were there were tough questions asked, and and, and like you said, Deputy Chief, I hope you you appreciate that these were policy questions, and and I also don't believe uh, to your point, Chief. I, I do appreciate that we shouldn't be making disciplinary. We're not. That, that's not something we do. But I don't think that's what was done. I think the argument was that as an institution. Um, the, this department has a responsibility to comply with the general orders, and that goes from, uh, I, you know, from the institution to all of its members. And I think that Vice President Carter Oberson was just making a, a, a policy point that we ask a lot of our members, and we should ask the same of, of the institution all the way down, which I think that we're all we're all in agreement on uh, as well. And um, I, I also want to note that no one on this commission disputes the tremendous amount that we ask of this department and of officers from command staff all the way down that it's, uh, it's a tremendous responsibility and that you are all uh, put under immense burden uh, particularly right now with with staffing shortages so I, I know that's also something that's been recognized and I made this point last week this is now the third we've had this on agenda two weeks we've had we had uh, Deputy Chief Prey and Deputy Chief O'Sullivan last week and now Deputy Chief Faswani um, and these conversations can be difficult uh, and uncomfortable. Like Chief said, a public inquiry is also a form of, of accountability. And so I, I do think it's important to the members of the public that we all serve, that we do have these discussions, even when they are uh, and, and can be uncomfortable. Uh, I also expressed this hope last week that, that you know, as President Elias said, 3.01 is new, uh, the commissioner's responsibility, and we're learning it, the department has a responsibility, DPA has a responsibility, and I hope that now that we've had these uncomfortable and important conversations before the public, that it can be something that is, uh, that will be seen as a blip as we move forward, um, and that, you know, this process gets ironed out, and, and I'm confident that it is, because I do recognize that the department is working, um, and that the commission, DPA, is working hard and that we'll continue to move forward. So I'd like to thank all uh, the, the, the deputy chiefs and the chief for, for, for their accountability and um, hope that this is the last time we have to agendize these. Thank you. Sergeant. At this time, the public is now welcome to make public comment regarding line item nine. If you'd like to make public comment, please approach the podium or press star three. And there is no public comment. Thank you. Next item. 
Line item 10, public comment on all matters pertaining to item 12 below, closed session, including public comment on item 11. Vote whether to hold item 12 in closed session. Commissioners, there is no public comment. Line item 11, vote on whether to hold item 12 in closed session, including a vote on whether to assert the attorney-client privilege with regards to item 12A, San Francisco Administrative Code section 67.10 action. I'll make a motion. Thank you. I'll second. On the motion, Commissioner Walker, how do you vote? Yes. Commissioner Walker is yes. Commissioner Benedicto? Yes. Commissioner Benedicto is yes. Commissioner Yanez? Yes. Commissioner Yanez is yes. Commissioner Byrne? Yes. Commissioner Byrne is yes. Commissioner Yee? Yes. Commissioner Yee is yes. Vice President Carter Overstone? Yes. Vice President Carter Overstone is yes. And President Elias? Yes. President Elias is yes. You have seven yeses. We will go into closed session. TV, San Francisco Government Television.
SFGovTV, San Francisco Government Television.
13. Vote to elect whether to disclose any or all discussion on item 12 held in closed session, including a vote on whether to assert the attorney-client privilege with regards to item 12A, the San Francisco Administrative Code section 67.12A, action. Um, I will make a motion to not disclose items 12B, 12C, and 12D to assert the attorney-client privilege for item 12A with the exception of uh, factual updates provided by um, the SFPD Labor Relations Director regarding the schedule of upcoming bargaining sessions with the POA and the MEA. Second. For members of the public that would like to make public comment regarding line item 13, please approach the podium or press star 3 now. <laughs> and there is no public comment. On the motion, Commissioner Walker, how do you vote? Yes. Commissioner Walker is yes. Commissioner Benedicto? Yes. Commissioner Benedicto is yes. Commissioner Yanez? Yes. Commissioner Yanez is yes. Commissioner Byrne? Yes. Commissioner Byrne is yes. Commissioner Yee? Yes. Commissioner Yee is yes. Vice President Carter Oberstone? Yes. Vice President Carter Oberstone is yes. And President Elias? President Elias says yes, you have seven yeses. Line item 13, adjournment.